What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. So yeah, poison oak is a terrible aspect of hunting the coast. Definitely. And it like what you were saying, people don't want to deal with the poison oak. So there's no like, why are you going to hunt somewhere if there's tons of poison oak? Right. Oh yeah. I mean, at least that's my experience because like I'll get it and I'll like, it'll just be terrible. Like hospital, you know? Yeah. That sucks. Do you get poison oak? <clears throat> um, I haven't got poison oak since I was a young kid. Really? And so you uh, had it when you were younger. Though. Yeah. I got it pretty bad on my arms. Uh, and I obviously, like most kids do, I made it worse by just scratching the heck out of it. My yeah. arms swelled up. Spreading it. Looked like Popeye. Yeah. And uh, Getting it on the penis in the sack. Oh, it's the so worst. Terrible. Worst. You know, I've been pretty... Crack, you know, yeah. I, Fuck! I've been pretty fortunate. I think I think the worst places I've got it is between my toes. Uh-huh. And uh, so obviously that is not good and my feet sweat a lot too uh-huh so when i got blisters between my toes that's one of the most just miserable things ever just oh man yeah but no i i um i don't get poison oak now i mean i avoid it i won't touch it yeah. i'll stay away from it but except when, for when you're skinning out a deer and you're covered <laughs> yeah and 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 or if i'm trying to get to the deer and it's back in poison oak thickets and and i've 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 trudged through it and i'm like kidding oh watch watch the video of that yeah but it's uh, just like terrible (laughs) yeah i mean i was trying to get to that deer and i'm just going through old growth poison oak vines going across my face and and uh i was like i'm gonna get poison oak but i don't care because it's hunts over Uh uh-huh and i was like i'll deal with it when i get home and i didn't get one dot of poison oak from that and you can see it going across my face, yeah. trudging through vines of it. and yeah. Like, it's just a mess. Yeah. Do you do anything to, like, are you washing in streams after a day of hunting in A-zone, coastal range, okay. whatever it is that you're hunting in? So I do take precautions because I have had it before, even yeah. though I don't get it very easily at all. Like, I, I couldn't even tell you the last time I had it. Um, I will roll my pants up. Um, when I take my boots off so that it doesn't, and then when I change my socks, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll roll my pants up so that anything that I've been walking through, I'll try to limit my exposure to it. And then as bef- much as humanly possible. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cause it is, it's everywhere. And, uh, and then I'll use wipes. I'll wipe, I'll clean my hands before I go to sleep. That way, if I'm rubbing my eyes and stuff like that, I don't end up with not only poison oak, but everything else I've been touching throughout the day. <laughs> yeah. End up with a pink eye or something crazy. <laughs> Taking your butt on the mountain. Yeah. Rubbing your eye. You never know. Showering I mean, for 15 days. Yeah, exactly. So. Awesome traumatic injury. Yeah. Try to try to keep the hands clean before I go to sleep, you know. Right. So, <clears throat> other than that, like, because for me, my biggest thing with poison oak and hunting anywhere poison oak is is dawn dish soap. And I'll always mm-hmm. say this because we're in California and there's poison oak everywhere. Yeah. Especially in the lower inland ranges and, mm-hmm. and coastal hunting um don dish soap is like literally like you can buy tech new oak which is yep. a tiny little bottle for 15 bucks yeah or whatever other products they make and like 2.99 amazon prime two-day shipping mm-hmm. you can get two family-sized bottles of don dish soap yeah 
and you never have to worry about it you know at least that's that's what i use to i've always recommended to people that get poison oak wash with dish soap uh-huh. and then rub it with rubbing alcohol yeah and that'll dry, dry it out. out yep exactly get and that's, rid of it and that's what i did when i was younger and i would get it um you know i grew up in the middle of nowhere everything was covered in, in poison oak. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i grew up kind of a interesting lifestyle i grew up yeah i grew up off the grid really Uh with your parents like was your dad like a prepper or was he just kind of like off the grid guy or (laughs) anyone that lives off the grid has a little bit of prepper in them for sure oh absolutely yeah it's like bush life dude you can't yeah you can't not yeah so yeah i grew up in on uh, 80 acres in the mountains of northern california and and uh when my dad moved up there there wasn't a fence post on the property so oh, really? he he built everything up there and did he fence the whole property and everything? no no Mm-mm. open yeah it was just open and uh so growing up like that i mean it just kind of exposes you to Way all the different elements of, oh yeah of life and i thought it was normal yeah. you know i'd go to school when i was a little kid and i'd be embarrassed to tell people that we ran off of a generator at night you know uh-huh. you can't just flip a light switch and have the power come on yeah so you know, I was embarrassed, but now looking back on it, it's like, it's hilarious. I had the funniest childhood growing up. But that's so cool. So tell me more about it. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> so before, before we dive into your childhood and, yeah. and you're, you're growing up in Northern California, who are you? What do you do? You, you have a pretty rad project that you've been working on for a while that I've gotten to watch and you first caught my eye with uh, like Roosevelt elk pictures on the coast. Yeah. Because you're the only other guy in California at the time that was taking totally rad photos of coastal elk and what we have to offer in California. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Joe Gavain. Um, I run a YouTube channel and an Instagram called Decisive Outdoors where, I mean, we just try to keep it as real as we can and yeah. all original content. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just try to show hunting in California, blacktail, and show the elk that we have here on the coast but mm-hmm. obviously the opportunities to hunt them are uh, slim to none <laughs> 30 year draw yeah exactly yeah especially for the mendocino tag which is that's the area that i take most of the pictures of those elk mm-hmm. are up and there they're all rosies right mm-hmm. yeah yeah they are yeah. yeah that that herd was brought down from uh, oregon i believe uh-huh. no i can't give you a real accurate estimate on the timeline but yeah but yeah that's cool so You've been hunting for a long time, though. Like, it's not, it's not, like, you didn't just be like, hey, I'm going to make a YouTube channel and start hunting and filming my... Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I obviously hunted before I started filming hunts. It just one one year, me and my buddy that uh, we were stationed together um, in Bodega Bay in the Coast Guard. And, yeah. And uh, how we met was pretty funny. Um, he's always been a huge outdoorsman. He yeah. grew up in Southern Oregon, hunting elk and, and blacktail his whole life, and... My first day there, apparently they knew I was a fisherman. Just like any new job, you get a new person, they, they Facebook stalk you, they look at your social they media and all that. And uh, he walks up to me, he's all, I'm, I heard you're a fisherman. And I said, yeah. He's did all, you what hear it or did you stalk it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's like, well, what do you like to fish? And I was like, I, I, my favorite species is definitely steelhead. He's all, I need to shake your hand. And that's how me and me and Ross met. Uh-huh. Does that work? And, and uh after, Are you river fishing for steelhead? Oh, yeah. 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 So what was... Oh, God, they're now... We're, I'm going to have to make a list of things to keep bringing up. <laughs> I know I have a pen here somewhere. I probably don't. Anyways, continue. So, yeah, I mean, 
Ross is, is the guy that we started Decisive Outdoors together two years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we honestly didn't really have any goals for it. It was just we want to film our hunts so and that we can share them. documenting exactly. it. Exactly. Share the memories with each other yeah. and sharing the memories with people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's it's just like. I mean, as far as I know, it doesn't seem like you're not in it trying to get sponsorships or paid shit. Like no. you're just in it for the fun and the love and the passion of the outdoors. Yeah, exactly. Which is super awesome and refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we haven't reached out to try to gain one sponsor or anything. We just like to, to share it. Yeah. And we love watching our videos back like a year later and watching it with family and seeing their reactions to it live in the hunt yeah exactly and then digging up all the old little treats that are stuff that never made it onto the internet Mm -hmm. that we can go back and watch and laugh about (laughs) isn't that so when you're building content for yourself isn't it funny while you're building content and you go through and look forgive me guys you can probably hear my typing um and you go through and look and it's just nothing but there's like you know open up any file and be like all right cool i'm gonna look at photos or oh wait no that didn't work and it's just nothing but like gigabytes terabytes Uh content 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 and (laughs) the fraction that reaches anything where anybody else sees other than close friends and people who show up yeah you know what i mean is like so different than what what uh how am i losing my i drank too much coffee <laughs> i only drank half a cup before i came here because i was like i'm gonna cool, yeah yeah i'll make you some strong coffee it's good you know I but like yeah it. so the amount of content that actually sees the light of day compared to the amount of content that oh, you actually yeah. get and have is I'll take, so monumentally different. For a 15-minute video, we typically get about an hour to an hour and a half of footage that we, oh, condense, wow. that we can get, condense down to 15 minutes. Dude, I need to get on that train. I end up getting like five or six, seven hours of footage to go through. It's terrifying. That's how it starts out. So, um, yeah. It, <laughs> for it, sure. You start out with – because you're like, oh, this is so sweet. We're hiking through. Look at this country. And you end up recording for two minutes straight. Well, how much of that? are you actually going to use in a video no one realistically wants to watch you hike on a trail for 45 seconds yeah you only need a few seconds of that two and a half seconds yep so that's my for me personally that is my i'm three seconds what yeah Yeah. so that's like right in that same ballpark when i'm when i'm when i'm editing it's one two three cut it yep what do you use what software do you use for i use movavi it's basically it's it's iMovie for PC. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. It's super user-friendly. Um, yeah. Well, a lot that's of... one thing about iMovie or, you know, those types of programs is mm-hmm. everything is laid in front of you. It's super easy to split audio and, yeah. you know, cut scenes and anything yeah. like that that you need to do. And I'm, I'm still, even after doing it for two years, like, I'm still super new into it. I'm not heavily experienced by any Me means. Too. Self-taught. Yeah. <laughs> so I wanted something that was as user-friendly as possible and iMovie is perfect for that and that's what i wanted so i was like iMovie can i get it for pc and it's like movavi same company so i was like perfect that's the one yeah and a lot of um people that i know that do it you know have been doing it for a long time or have some type of training or school they're like oh you need to do the adobe i'm like that has way too much for me it's got too too many features exactly yeah i look at that and i'm like dude g i didn't get a gd at an actual high school graduation but 
I look at it and I'm like, whoa, public school, dude. I went to public school. It's too yeah. much. It's too much. I, I mess around on Final Cut for the most part. Okay. But that's, I've been exposed to Final Cut in the mm-hmm. early 2000s when I lived in LA and Got it. using it down there for stuff. So it was a lot easier. Yeah. And I mean, I never messed around with any film editing until a couple of years ago. Uh, what kind of phone do you use? Um, I've got an older iPhone uh-huh. SE. Nice. It's like a five with six enters in it, but nice. uh, I don't really <laughs> do anything media-wise with this except uh-huh. for Instagram stories. Yeah. So, um, and my camera, my my uh, DSLR is nothing fancy either. It's mm-hmm. just an entry-level Canon, and that works to throw the 300 millimeter lens on it and get some some pictures. And one of my buddies, Joaquin, up in uh, the coast area, he he actually told me he's like, when I first started out taking pictures. He's like, well, you know, it's it's not the camera, it's the driver, you know. Mm-hmm. Or he said, it's not the car, it's the driver, you know. And uh, I was like, you know, that makes sense. And because he's like, most people buy these expensive cameras and they never take them off auto. So if you don't know how to use it, it's not going to do you any good anyways to have an expensive camera. Yeah. Since then, gone through a couple different types of recording cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, the DSLR just definitely was not working for me. Um, went to a smaller Sony camcorder and had some built-in image stabilization, which for me is huge. Um, being able to have image stabilization. Yeah, it's huge. You know, and then I had a, a gimbal for like a month, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm just not a fan of a gimbal at all. Like, I'm not. I'm not like. I love to film hunts mm-hmm. and and produce content and all that kind of stuff, but I'm way more interested in hunting. Yep. Than I am carrying a gimbal around. A gimbal is a pain. In like the ass. Yeah. I have one also. and uh, I won't pack it. No, I, mean, I, I won't pack it And at if all. someone wants to complain about something being shaky, and, you know, it's like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a backpack, you know, hunt. This isn't a, yeah. you know, yeah, flown I, in crazy ass style hunt. I had someone comment on one of our videos the other day. Um, Don't from our comments. Stay off of them. Yeah, I mean, we, we... Follow Joe Rogan's lead on that, dude. Just I know. Until we get to a point to where it's like, there's just too much negativity. But I don't know. I, I still, I'm still at the point where I kind of like interacting and, you know, yeah. saying thank you. Because it's, it's 98% positive, which is really good. That's just, important. It's a couple of people, you know, they'll, they'll leave kind of a negative, really... Uh, I guess that'd be uh, passive aggressive comments, you know, and complaining about yeah trivial bullshit. Like, oh, you didn't show the kill shot, and I basically just explained that you know we're hunters first, yeah. and with a passion for documenting our adventures. And so, if it's going to cost me an opportunity at an animal to try to get it on film, I'm I, I apologize. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I'm not in this to make money on getting a kill shot. I'm in it to do the best I can to document our hunts and our fishing trips and all that. So it's hard. It's tough. That's such a fun point to bring up too. Like for me, for example, even after the kill, I don't spend a lot of time when I kill something to take photos. I don't like, I'll take usually three self time Mm -hmm. photos yeah. If there's someone else there, I'll get better pictures because yeah. someone else is doing it. Yep. But if I if I kill an animal myself, I don't sit there and I'm like, oh, I got to set up for this shot and mm-hmm. do this and do that. And, and the reason being is like, 
it's nice to have the photos. Yeah. You, for example, my buck that I shot this year in Montana, that yeah. four by four with the little fifth cheater that was a quarter inch, but I'll yeah. take it oh, all yeah. day. I'll take that cheater. Yeah, he's cool. He's a cool buck. And I lost that buck. I lost the head when we were in sheep camp in Southern California. I went straight from Montana to Southern California. Yeah. And uh, I have maybe four good photos of that buck. Mm-hmm. But I'm fine with that. You know, yeah. like, dude, that sucks. I lost the head. You know, so it goes. What are you going to do? It happens to 25% of hunters at least once in their life. Yeah. Right? And uh, so I was grateful that I did get some photos. But at the same time, like, when I kill something, my first thought is, okay, it's time to go to work. I got to get my knives out. I got to get to a stable place you know that's relatively flat somewhere mm-hmm. on this mountain to where i can actually get everything you know quartered up squared away cooled down in my pack and off the mountain yeah you know i don't want to sit and spend an hour and a half or two hours on photos for my own animal but when i'm with someone else and i have a camera you better believe that we're taking two hours for me to take photos and mm-hmm you know make everything look pretty and nice and all that yeah you know but and for it's, my own stuff i just it's know. funny too like a lot of those pictures you take i'm the same way like if i'm hunting by myself and i get an animal down if i get one really good picture that's all i'm that's all i'm in pursuit for mm-hmm. one good picture mm-hmm. and because uh, it's it's a pain in the butt trying to set something up and and get the camera set up and you're running back and forth looking at it and yeah. on a timer and you're just like you get that one picture you're like perfect all right time to go to work yeah. but when you're with somebody you're like oh yeah that looks good you know you can yeah. move it around and actually work with them yeah. and really kind of try to try to yeah yeah exactly and i love looking at pictures it's like pictures you know horns taxidermy i just i can look at them all day all day love it yeah yeah that's awesome so we'll dive back to your childhood okay growing up northern california we got derailed there for about 10 minutes yeah growing up northern california and off the grid sort of bush lifestyle Mm -hmm. generator at night Yep. to run the electricity for the house. So what was that like for you? You were talking a little bit about going to school, maybe being a little shy or embarrassed about it, you know? And Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but there's a lot of people that grow up like that where I'm from. And um, it was, it was uh, like I said, it was kind of embarrassing. I didn't want to pe- people know that I ran on a generator. I didn't have, like, you know, public power or whatever you wanted to call it. Mm-hmm. And But looking back on it, it's it was super cool. Um got to run around the hill, do whatever I wanted. When dad wanted to get us back to the house, he had this huge bell that he uh, made out of a acetylene tank. So my dad's a, ping. yeah, he's a, he's a career mechanic and fabricator yeah. and he did it mobily. So he had his, his truck with the generator or the, the welder and the crane air compressor, all that stuff in his truck. And he would go places to fix people's stuff because mm-hmm. it's so out in the middle of nowhere. You can't get equipment into town to get a fix. So he's mobile mechanic and, uh, so he had this huge oxyacetylene tank and, and we'd be out in the 80 acres wherever yeah. and he'd just rattle that bell and that's how we knew to come home. Dinner time. Yep, <laughs> dinner time or time to do whatever. And so that was cool, you know, like I was definitely no stranger to the wilderness. As far as hunting goes, I played football since I was a little kid mm-hmm. and most kids with fall sports, you don't really have time to get in a big game because that's it's in the fall. Yeah. So 
about the time I started showing a lot of interest in wanting to hunt big game, I was I was still really focused on on football, and and that was definitely my biggest passion in school was was football, and and so I when I was playing Pee Wee. Uh, practice throughout the week, games on the weekends, no time to hunt. Um, it's like what my nephews are going through right now. Yeah, yeah. They've just been playing since Pop Warner all the way through yep. flag football, everything. Now they're getting into high school football. Mm-hmm. So then high school rolls around. Um, we practice all week, games on Fridays. So I'd be beat and a little tired on yeah. Saturday. I couldn't really hard. hard oh, yeah, you know, have a little too much fun. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then I, I ended up joining the Coast Guard right out of high school. Mm-hmm. So that took me to... And you're how old now? Uh, 27. So you've been in almost 10 years? Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Retirement in 11 years, yep. if you want. Yeah. At the shiny age of 38 years old? Yep. That's I'll fucked be. up, dude. <laughs> that's yeah. terrible. Yeah. I mean, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I'm totally being facetious. I, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I ended up... My first duty station was in Nebraska, and, and man, I should have taken advantage of hunting there because I, I ended up making friends with people just across the border, across the Missouri River there in uh, Iowa. And Iowa's I, got some great bucks, man. Great deer, yeah. And I didn't take advantage of that. I was, I was being a social butterfly instead of, you know, kind of falling back on my, my passions hunting, in life. Yeah. yeah. And, I wasn't a huge, obviously a, a big game hunter growing up. My dad shot a deer when, when we were hungry, you know, living up on the mountain. We had animals up there, plenty of them. Yeah. Um, it just never really dawned on me like, oh, this is what I really want to do. I was more of a fisherman. My dad was a huge fisherman. Kind of. So would you go like coastal fishing, like Capazoni and? Oh yeah, yeah. We would we would fish out of Shelter Cove. Um, we fished Clear Lake, Ruth Lake, mm-hmm. Eel River. Um, rivers all over we'd go up to southern oregon and and salmon fish up there um so fishing was definitely because i could do that on the off season so we we fly fishing or bait fishing or um a little bit of everything um mostly mostly lures and bait um fly fishing i hardly fly fish i own a fly rod but i've caught more bass on it than anything right um but yeah fishing is is really my first true love and i think it's like that for a lot of people because it's easy it's easier well, and it's you cheaper start out fishing when you're five years old exactly you can't really start hunting until you're 12 yeah at least in california yeah yeah so fished all over and and my whole life i've never been one type of fisherman i'll fit i'll if there's fish in there, I'll try to catch them. I don't care what they are. <laughs> yeah. I just want to catch something. And if they're small, I'll just go down in size, you yeah. know, as far as the tackle goes. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up um, in Nebraska for a couple of years and didn't take advantage of the whitetail opportunities there. Made friends that had access to thousands of acres, and I was too busy being social rather than hunting. My bow had a had a bow fishing retriever on it and it never came off when I was there. I was shooting gar in the uh, Missouri river. It was no super way. cool. Yeah. So what was bow fishing like? Um, on the Missouri river, it was, I didn't fish like in the river where the carp were all jumping out and stuff. Cause I was always on the boat working when mm-hmm. the carp were trying to jump in the boat, got my hard hat on and a machete in my hand and waiting for one to jump in the boat. Yeah. Never happened, but it'd be fun. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'd be cool. Um, but bow fishing's cool, man. I love it. It's, 
If you, have you done it before? I've never done it in my life. You have to try it. Really? Oh yeah. You get up to Clear Lake, middle of May, when the carp are spawning, and it's addicting. Really? Because it's, it's the combination of hunting on the water. It's amazing. Now, how hard is it to aim at a fish in the water? So you have your you have parallax. Yeah. Um, a lot, though. Yes. Right? Like, you have to compensate an enormous amount yeah. in order to nail your target. It's a learning curve. And you'll there's people that get really good at it, but unless you do it a lot, uh-huh. you kind of lose your judgment on it. Especially and it's, with, so it's a tarnishable skill, like operating a pistol. I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, and I've only... I've only bow fished a few years. I did it a couple of years before I left California, and then I, I got to do it again this year. And I was like, man, I, I like reignited just how much I love it. Really? It's so much fun. And you're shooting these, you know, 15 to 25 plus pound fish, and they fight. So like, you stick an arrow in them, and you got to be like, oh, did I get a good shot? I don't want to yank the arrow out. So you got to kind of play them, and you know, you got a solid shot, and you saw that the tip pass through on the other side. Oh, yeah. you're just yarding them in. Yeah. It's fun. That's fine. And then do you reel it in or you handline it? I handline it in. Handline? Yeah. So the retrievers, there are some out there that I think are capable of reeling them in, but I like to fight them on the hand. And then what kind of line does that use? Like a nylon? Yeah, it's like a it's like, like a, a heavy nylon. Two hundred pound nylon line. Okay. Like a single braid nylon. Okay. Yeah. Um, That'll get the job done. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And I've had to jump in the water and retrieve my arrow a few times. It's a fiberglass arrow. Yeah. Um, with a little changeable tip on it and you have to loosen the tip up to twist the barb around so you can pull it back out of the fish oh really so if it's halfway in you got to shove it all the way through so that you can loosen the tip up twist it over pull your arrow back out that makes sense yeah yeah i'll have to uh have to try to get you out there next may how was it diving in for for the fish i've done that um but i did it in the bay for a sturgeon it was retarded yeah so the water can be kind of a little little mucky over in Clear Lake, uh-huh. um, especially when the carp are spawning. There's usually a lot of dead ones. Yeah. So where I jumped in, there was a couple of dead ones back in the Thule's sheen oil on the water from these fish, and and uh, a little eerie. But we're in California, we're not in Florida, so <laughs> that makes you. It helps a little bit. Yeah, getting in the water, and and I had shot Red through this shoot it through this fish. Yeah, and, and, and then my arrow got lodged into a root wad that was growing on the lake, so I had to cut my arrow out of the root wad oh, wow. while I'm trying to swim in about six foot of water. And I'm only 5'9", so I couldn't even stand up. Yeah. And while the toolies are wrapping around your legs and everything. and Panic sets in. Try not to panic. Try not to panic, yeah. you know. Um, that was cool, though. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was uh, sturgeon fishing, and this is years back, maybe 07. And I used to go sturgeon fishing six or seven days a week, no matter what the tide was. I didn't care. I'd just go mm-hmm. sturgeon fishing. And I caught this sturgeon. I was My buddy, he had his boat and a slip down in Marin. And uh, I caught the sturgeon, and it was legal. I was stoked, tagged it, and had everything squared away, and... I'm going through my tackle box in the front of the boat. Well, sturgeon fishing is generally in winter. It's generally cold as shit. So I'm wearing insulated boots. I got long johns on, my Carhartt uh, work pants on. I've got I'm, I got my key ring and my chain wallet because I had a chain wallet. You know, that's, uh-huh. I'm going to date this a little bit. <laughs> and then I had a, a long sleeve T-shirt and a hoodie on and a beanie. So I'm, you know, dressed to stay warm. 
on the boat. It gets cold out there in the bay. And I'm up in the front, and I'm in the bow of the boat, and I'm going over everything. And, and I look back, and the tide was ripping. It was like a, a six or a seven-foot tide that day. It's just ripping, dude. It's terrible. And uh, the fish, I'd, I'd cut the gills, bleed it out, and it's bouncing, you know, as the tide comes by, it'll bounce and then sink a little bounce and sink a little bit. And it did like a serious bounce and the knot came out or the loop came out and un- untied itself. And I oh, just dang. watched it come out of the eye and start. I watched the sturgeon and the yellow rope just going oh, on no. the top of the bay. And in less than a second, I was like, I'm not losing this fish. Yeah. I ran down the boat, jumped off the back of the boat. My boat's anchored. Yeah. But I'm in the bay. And I start treading water down to catch this fish. Well, And if people haven't ever really fished the ocean and don't understand what a six-foot tide is and how far it'll carry you. Oh, yeah. And a heartbeat. Especially down there. That Especially down there. Yeah. Yeah. It was down by Raccoon Straits. And... Uh, I am hauling ass, get to the sturgeon, get the fish, and I turn around, and all of a sudden the boat's 250 yards yeah. up bay from me, and I have to tread water in my boots and all my gear, like, soaking wet, and I eventually, obviously, make it back to the boat, but, like, dumbest thing I've ever, probably one of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life. Yeah, that's scary. But I was scary. dedicated to that sturgeon, dude. Yeah. I was not going to let that thing go. Like, So did you get it? Yeah. Good. Oh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> I swam back to the boat, got in the boat. I got home that afternoon and chopped up sturgeon steaks with my dad. And Awesome. You know, it was, it was an epic day for sure, but... Yeah, I've only, I've only fished sturgeon one time, and that was up on the Columbia. Yeah, you were telling me that earlier. Yeah. And I got in the water with one of those fish, mm-hmm. um, the last fish of the second day of the trip. It was a nine and a half foot sturgeon. <sighs> I've never even seen one that big in my life. I, biggest I've seen is like seven six. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah, this it was way bigger than any of the other fish we were catching. <laughs> we were catching, you know, our biggest fish are about seventy pounds probably, and uh-huh. this one our, our guide estimated at three hundred something pounds, and it was fat historic fat fish yeah and so i jump i take my shirt off jump in next to it to kind of give it like the we're in deep water we're in like 60 foot of water um and we couldn't get the tail up for a picture so Mm -hmm. i jumped in and and grabbed the life ring and i'm floating the life ring on me and and holding this tail up the tail's wider than my shoulders (laughs) (laughs) my buddy that fought it for 45 minutes is is sitting there with its head pulling it up and we're able to get a a picture on the GoPro was the only one that had like kind of a, a wide enough lens. frame, a wide enough lens to, yeah. to take the whole thing in. Yeah. That's and then, so crazy. yeah, it was cool. I don't even know where that picture went. Somewhere. Find yeah. it. Yeah. I need to find it. That was a fun trip. I was doing a river rafting trip on the rogue river. Uh-huh. It was like a seven day wild and scenic. Yeah. You know, do the whole, the whole river. And I can't remember what the name of the place was, but you get to this one spot, and I th- I'm pretty sure it was right before Blossom Bar, and you're looking at 60 to to 120 foot deep canyons below the river. Yeah, you know what I mean, like you're yeah. looking at holes that 
go scary. endlessly. Freshwater is scarier to, than, than, dude, it's, than it's salt insane, water. <laughs> for sure. Well, and especially when you're doing like a whitewater. You yeah. Know, they, they say the Rogue River is a class four whitewater rafting trip with class five repercussions, which means you fall off and you can die very easily. And yeah. Get sucked under. But there's pictures at one of the places we stopped where what they used to do was they'd come in on mules and horses and then they'd throw lines out to catch sturgeon out of the river and they'd tie it off to the horse so when they'd get a sturgeon on they'd tie it to the horse slap the horse and they'd horse it literally horse it out of the river which that's like that's pretty neat yeah that's that's crazy yeah yeah those fish are strong they're a really cool fish. I, it's something I want to get back out and do here soon. We'll have to go out to the bay. Okay. If you ever, if you want, if you let me know next time you're coming down, and if there's good sturgeon tides, we'll go out on the Aluma Well. Okay. Yeah, it's a fun little boat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, anyways, that was a fishing tangent. Yeah. For sturgeon fishing. So, Missouri? No, you were. I was in. I was in uh, Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah. It's my first my first duty station there and yeah i didn't like i said got plenty of hunting opportunity. yeah unfortunately and, and one of my coworkers had shot a just massive whitetail yeah. and he was he was second in command there so he was coming into work late every single day because he was hunting in the morning and then coming into work yeah exactly yeah. and he ended up killing just a giant non-typical out there and and uh it's one of those bucks that does not look like it's a low fence buck really yeah I wish I had a picture of it, but that was eight years ago or whatever, and I don't have a picture of that anymore. I didn't even have a smartphone until 2012. Oh, but wow. <laughs> you slow. Yeah, I was a little slow on that. Coming in I mean, hot. I mean, here I am with a, I got an iPhone 5 still, so that kind of explains a little bit there. Yeah, I wish that I could get away from having a smartphone. I, the only reason I want a new phone, to be perfectly honest with you, is they do take really good pictures. They do. They're, I mean... Sure. They take better pictures than my my Canon entry level DSLR. Isn't that weird? Yeah, it's crazy. And uh, so I'm thinking about just upgrading, just just a little bit lighter weight, not have to carry the camera. Way lighter weight. Yeah. And you don't have to carry extra lenses. Yeah, exactly. Super helpful. So you grew up in California, kind of travel a little bit in Coast Guard. Yeah. Um, what brought you back into the hunting culture? For yourself yeah um so i've always been a target shooter um dabbled in long range stuff a little bit of um, rifle I'd, not archery correct yeah okay. yeah long range rifle and tactical side of the house and and um i got stationed in bodega bay and i was doing some long range shooting out there with some some friends that had property out there on the coast and and i was like you know what i need i need to actually put these things to work and i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna do it now and Growing up, like I said, I, I didn't, I wasn't really into big game hunting after the, the football season. I would, I shot a lot of varmints. I'd shoot jackrabbits and coyotes and stuff like that. And that was a lot of fun. Um, but I, I've always wanted to hunt blacktail deer. Mm-hmm. Always. I saw a lot of my buddies that had hunted deer. And, Pacific and, Coast ghost. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't come from a hunting family. My dad shot a deer when we were hungry and that was it. So I was like, I'm. I'm just going to do it. So I ended up getting a 243, 
from uh, one of my friend's moms that her ex-husband bought it from her. And she's like, you want my gun? And I was like, heck yeah, I want this thing. So that was my <laughs> first again? my first deer rifle, 243. Mine and, too. Uh, yeah. Tried and true, man. Yeah, definitely. That thing's, it's a cheap rifle and it's accurate as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first year hunting was a pretty big learning curve. The wilderness, the mountains are no mystery to me. I grew up in them, but as far as just learning the behavior of these deer, it was just a huge learning curve. I hunted with a couple of buddies that done it their whole life, and, and looking back on it, it was like definitely not my style of hunting now. Um, and I was like, oh, this is just how you do it. Cover a lot of ground and and hope work your ass it. off and hope to see one, and then you're burnt out for the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. And now I'm kind of like, I'm going to prepare more, do my homework, work out understand that, it a little bit yeah and take a have a real game plan and, and uh so i ended up getting stationed in fort bragg mm-hmm. and up there there's some pretty good hunting opportunities um just inland of there uh, you get in the mendocino national forest area mm-hmm. um which is huge there's so much country in there yeah massive yeah and so I, I had a lot of failure in there. Um, <laughs> a lot of learning. A lot of learning. Yeah. Like, yeah. Learned. And that's a big thing, too, is how many times have I failed as a hunter? And by failure, I mean not killed an animal. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. How many times have I failed as a hunter, whether it was seeing zero deer or, you know, maybe blown opportunity mm-hmm. or whatever it is, how many times have I failed until I succeeded? Mm-hmm. You know, and... and I've said it a lot, and a lot of people say it a lot still all the time. Is like, oh, every hunt's a successful hunt. But, like, yeah, every hunt's a successful hunt, but let's stop trying to be PC and actually yeah. say that, like, our desired successful hunt every single time we're out there is to kill an animal. Yeah, and just leaving with that, like, that frustration and that drive and that hunger to just, to like, keep going. to keep going and to get it done. And yeah. if you don't have that, I mean... You ain't gonna make it. Go sit in a tree stand in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, go sit in a tree stand. Yeah. Lander. And I've I've sat in a tree stand. I've I've got plenty of days in a tree stand. Yeah, Don't get we were me just wrong. Talking about yeah. that a little bit, yeah. a little bit ago. Um, but as far as Western hunting goes, like you you gotta have that drive and that grit, you know. And man, you can't I, give up. No. No matter how bad the day is. Yeah. And I've spent when when I got you know back into hunting particularly big game hunting uh years ago it it was that failure that kind of drove me and you know put my relationship to the test with yeah. my now wife and and luckily she's she's come full circle she, she shot with it. yeah she shot she her first deer she shot her first deer this year she was okay with it she supported me but she just did not like how much i was gone uh, <laughs> and just didn't understand it i like, don't think i could like somehow manufacture a relationship with the amount of time i spent on the road yeah she so she she struggled with to it you and all the guys that are able to make it happen yeah and i think getting her into it and honestly filming mm-hmm. when when we recorded our first um hunting video in oklahoma for whitetail like she cried the first time she watched it and she was like it all makes sense and i clicked the She's next like, season the next season after what that a great feeling man oh yeah it was cool for you as a you know significant other mm-hmm. to watch that light bulb go off yeah and her you probably heart sunk but in the best mm-hmm. possible way yeah yeah it was it was cool so the next season she was just like are you gonna go hunting this weekend and i'm like yeah she's like okay good luck and she probably cried after i left but 
um, at least it wasn't before I left, you know? Right. And uh, so that, that was really cool. Um, I hunted all over A-Zone. A-Zone's tough to hunt. Public land, A-Zone's really tough. Um, it's terrible. Yeah, and then ended up shooting a fork at horn. Um, so the first year and a half-ish that I hunted, I didn't shoot anything. Um, it was just learning, discovering new ground, tons of scouting. That's way better. Than blown me. opportunities. Me 10 years, dude. Yeah. Me 10 years to kill my first animal on public ground in California. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I've never killed an animal on private ground in California, but yeah. or a, a deer and I've mm-hmm. killed sheep, but that's yeah. a different story. So yeah, it was, uh, this first, first couple of years was a ton of learning, a ton of blown opportunities. And, but it just created that drive. And I've always kind of been like that. Once I kind of set my mind on something, especially something I'm passionate about. Like it's, it, it's going to take a lot to try to diminish that drive. Should have been in the army and make a better grunt than a coasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's a, it's, it's hard. It's hard to, I already told you earlier, you know, it's the know, kind of guys that get all sensitive about yeah, the service know, jokes. You just, they're just off. pansies. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> better. They suck at their job. Your weak shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Oh, I lost my train of thought there now. It's all right. Um, so, yeah, first couple of years, just a lot of, lot, of, lot of learning, grinding, yeah. And I loved the backcountry hunting aspect. And I hunted solo. Like, I hunted with my buddies a couple of times. They kind of moved out, and I didn't have any hunting partners. Mm-hmm. And every people I worked with, I didn't want to force someone to get in the mountains with me. Um, so a lot of solo, and I love solo hunting. Just something about it, so peaceful. Um, yeah. Get it's, out and it's, just... Dude, solo hunting, um, I do my best work for me mm-hmm. when I'm solo hunting. Yeah, and I think it's because every decision is yours. Mm-hmm. If you second guess anything, it's it's you. You don't have anything to bounce anything off of, of people. Like, everything is your decision. Well, and that being said, too, like, how beneficial is it to gain the skill of making a decision standing by the decision by yourself trusting your judgment and going all the way through with it and Mm -hmm. understanding and realizing that you're making good decisions and then how can you bring that confidence into your everyday life yeah in making your own decisions and standing by your decisions you know and and trusting it being decisive right (laughs) it be indecisive not decisive yeah. Decisive outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. The, the puns definitely, uh, they come out quite a bit with that. Yeah. But. Right? But solo hunting, I think, and, and also, and probably you found this, is how much more you learn when you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And just being able to go at your own pace. It's been tough when I've, I've hunted with other people when I'm trying to film, too. And they're not used to having a camera. Like everything slows down when you're trying to document. And so you're hunting with someone that's a, like, likes to go. And I'm like, hey, hang on, let's get this. And they get frustrated. And you're like, you're the one that asked me to come up here and hunt. I mean, to, to film with you. And we got to slow things down a little bit. Yeah. That, that can be tough. But uh, so, yeah, first couple of years, they were tough. Um, getting back into it. Ended up shooting my, my fork at horn, um, which was the first buck. And after that, 
I had to go to a school on the East Coast. So I only got to hunt. This was B zone. Yeah. Um, I didn't fill an A zone tag for three years. And I've never filled an A zone tag, so congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> um, I've only filled this year, actually, with yeah. that velvet double beam buck that I shot. With that, the that retarded was... buck that's just a monster slob? He's cool. And we'll he's, get into your 2019 so season for yeah. sure. Um, so the next year, um, I was I had the support from my wife, you know, 100%, which makes a huge difference, obviously. It's just, it sucks being in a bad headspace when you're out in the mountains and you left with, on bad terms and you don't have any communication. Yeah. I didn't have any satellite communicators or in anything. Reach. So, yeah, I ended up getting one this, year, one for, this year for Idaho. It's it's awesome. They're it sweet. Is, Game changer. Breath of fresh air to have an inreach. Yeah, for sure. In your pocket. Her biggest fear was just not being able to, like, say, hey, are you okay? Or if you need help, hey, how the hell are you going to get out of there? Especially going out by myself. And I would boat into places. I'd grab my little John boat and mm-hmm. boat in and then set up base camp and then spike camp from there, mm-hmm. um, which I love. I love every aspect. Just get in the middle of nowhere and, and knowing Figure that away from people. And I think that's kind of what, what kind of induced a lot of my, I'm going to use the word failures again, yeah. was I was trying to get away from people. And by doing that, I feel like I got away from the animals quite a bit too. Cause I'm like, where can I go to get as far away from people as humanly possible? Mm-hmm. I'd get out there and there wasn't a damn deer track anywhere, <laughs> <laughs> but I was out in the middle of nowhere and I did not see anybody. Yeah. I didn't see, I didn't see anybody when I went the first couple of years I hunted. So I was doing something right at least, yeah. just not finding the animals. Not finding the animals. <laughs> um, so yeah, I ended up, uh, that, that following year, um, I grew up you know, Northern California, pretty a uh, couple hours south of the Oregon border and, and a lot of really good hunting up there on the coast and inland. And I never took real advantage of that mostly because obviously sports. Sports, yeah. Um, so I said, I'm going to go hunt the coast up there. And I've got a buddy that has spent several, several years hunting and he, he was kind of a late bloomer too. He got into hunting later on and he is just hundred percent diehard blacktail fanatic. He's like dedicated the last decade to just that. And, uh, so I asked him for some advice and he gave me some really good advice. Super friendly. Um, can you share any of that advice or is that, um, it's kind of, it's definitely a little, yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Um, I can tell you his name, um, but, uh, yeah, he, he basically was like, this is what I would do. And I said, I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do because I've never hunted because there Because you have success. Yeah. And, and I told him, I, obviously, my goal for that was to kill a legal buck. Mm. That was my goal. And so I hiked up the coast, made camp, and I'm, I'm documenting this too. I'm trying to film it all. Now, is this this hunt? Are you talking about the 2019 hunt? No. Okay, so no. this is prior. Yeah, this okay. is before that. Um, yeah. And so I, I camped up the coast, and it's steep covered in poison oak like we were talking about and it's it's treacherous terrain man terrible and uh so didn't see any deer hardly Mm -hmm. um saw my first legal buck bumped him out of his bed ended up in something that felt really good saw a good sign and ended up bumping another buck little did i know that he actually went about 20 yards and then rebedded i tried to double back up the hill and cut him off was unsuccessful with that frustrated sweaty you know um Ended up popping over the hillside and, and saw ended up catching him bedding down, and that's actually that uh, the King Range blacktail video. Mm-hmm. Um, waited him out for, I think it was uh, hour and a half, two hours till he yeah. got up out of his bed. Sun started going down, got up out of his bed. A little weird, little wonky fork at horn walked in front of me. I 
pass on him, mostly because I didn't see him 10 feet from me. Didn't see the deer come in. Wow. Um, I looked wow. down. Yeah, looked down and I saw a buck. I was like, holy smokes, my bow's sitting next to me. I'm like, I can't shoot him. You're all, why is my bow not in my hands? Yeah, exactly. And and just a couple minutes later, that, that larger buck came out. And um, something that you won't know from the video is I actually deflected that arrow into his spine. And uh, that's why there's a follow-up shot. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it at the time, like immediately I didn't know it, but I hit the deer, boom, gone, disappeared with a bow. So I was like, what the hell just happened? It's steep. He tumbled all the way down the hill, down into the creek, and I got down there and he's looking around. So I sent a follow-up shot and and uh, ended up sitting there about 15 foot from this deer and watched it die. And I felt bad. And like, I mean, that's just, that's hunting though. Like if you don't, feel a little bad for the animals that you kill and kind of have that respect and that relationship with them, then I don't know yeah. if you're human. <laughs> for sure. I mean, uh, I was on a hunt one time and, uh, the person who I was hunting with shot a deer, ended up, ended up shooting it four times yeah. and it still didn't die, you mm-hmm. know, and, and they kind of didn't know what to do. And I had to climb on top of it and, and hold it down and suffocate it but yeah that's that's a rough part of the business that's and it, whether and it doesn't matter yeah. dude it's not particular to just archery or rifle no. like that's you know some animals are tough mm-hmm. and they're not gonna die no you know? <laughs> their will to live is very strong and yeah and yeah it's tough but it's what we sign up for you know right. it's it's you know it's part it's, of the it's, experience and that's you know, change the page a little bit here. Yeah. That's going back to, um, another, like when I put uh, a zone video together where I ended up clipping a really nice big buck and people are like, don't ever take the shot unless you're a hundred percent about it. And it's like, if you hunt enough, like you're going to wound an animal, it's going to happen. It doesn't and that's, matter how hundred percent you are about no. the shot. It mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. Like that's just the name of the game, man. There's yep. no, there's no, Every time you shoot an animal, you know, it's like that, uh, that little split main beam buck that we were looking mm-hmm. outside at Yeah. that I showed you earlier, you know, that I shot five, six years ago, I had to blood track that thing for a mile and a half, Yeah. you know, or maybe even two miles. And that was like, that's crazy. I mean, you know, my shot, I was 100% on my shot when I took it mm-hmm. and what I wasn't 100% on was the animal's ability to jump up and change directions Yeah. before my arrow would make impact. Yep. Which, I don't care if it's a 40-yard shot or a 60-yard shot, the only real way you're going to maybe sort of avoid that is a 20-yard shot. Mm-hmm. Maybe. And yep. it still can jump the string and move a ton in the you know second or two seconds that it takes for that arrow to impact the animal. Yeah. You know, so I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And I think that's important for like people to kind of, that maybe haven't been put in that situation is it's, it's going to happen eventually mm-hmm. you hunt enough. It's going to happen. Yeah. You just got to accept that and know how to yeah, move on. Accept it and you have to also be well, I mean, for me, like I am just willing no matter what I will spend, you know, as, as much daylight as I can and how many ever days. Mm-hmm to track down an animal yeah yep you gotta you gotta feel good knowing you exhausted everything you could do to try to do your due diligence and and find as a sportsman and a conservationist yeah 100 percent 
so <clears throat> with that buck though, I mean, I would say that was, that was the first hunt. That was the first buck that I killed that I was just like, man, it felt so good. It felt like everything aligned on that one. Mm-hmm. It was, it was luck, man. I, there's no other way I can put it. Mm-hmm. I had the wind swirling. I'm 15 yards from this deer through the brush. And the only way you could see him is with your binos to focus through the brush and see him. You couldn't see him with your naked eye 15 yards away. Yeah. And I was just explaining that to somebody the other day, how like using binos to look through brush, well, <laughs> using binos to look through brush, but like the longer that you hunt and the more exposed you are to the elements and understanding how being in the field works, you'll start to be able to pick up like maybe when you first started you could have glassed a brush and never seen an animal in it Mm -hmm. the longer you've been around the better you've become at being able to see through the brush and find the figure of the animal in the brush yeah definitely you know what i mean because that's a talent yeah that's a talent man like that is a learned talent pick out animals from a long ways away that you're like that's an animal right there yeah yeah it is you're you definitely you're right you you get tuned in for it you go hunt with people that i took a, a few a couple of people that have never hunted mm-hmm. took them out this year and, and got an opportunity on a really nice a-zone public land buck no shit and uh, i haven't cut that one up and put it out on the internet yet but i'm going to and yeah we didn't end up getting it my buddy missed and and uh but so goes hunting but that's and that's that's one of those things like taking them out and like pointing out animals they're like holy cow and i tell them i say look for birds like when you're looking for movement i want you to look for the tweety birds that's what I tell them. They're they're glassing. Like, what do I look for? Look for birds. Yeah. Because I tell them, don't look for the deer. Look for if movement. You can pick up a bird. You're going to be able to pick up a deer. Yeah. For sure. So that's kind of my little tip to someone that's just starting out. If they're glassing, they're like, what do I look for? Look for movement. Don't look for the deer. Yeah. Try to pick out those little twitches. Um, the ear. Yep. The ear. Piece of brush. Yeah. Tail. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those things, they don't know they're moving them yeah. most of the time. So. Looking at bases of trees and stuff like that, too. Yeah. You know, because a deer can bed down behind a tree and you'll never see it mm-hmm. until that tail flicks. Yep. And then it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. I just saw that. How did that happen? Yeah. It's crazy how well yeah. they, they can hide, too. Oh, dude. Incredible. Perfect example was my Utah buck this year. You know, uh, I was on a phone call because I was just beat and exhausted. And I'm talking to my buddy, and there's winds ripping by me that are ridiculous. And I'm laying down using my backpack as a rest, and I'm glassing 2,000 yards away. And I'm like, oh, shit, I got to go. I saw a deer. So I run 1,500 yards and get set up on a knob, and I glass this mountain, which is now only 510 yards away. And I glass this mountain for three and a half hours. And I find one doe moving. But three and a half hours later, I find a buck that has been sitting in the same place in the wide open fallen timber for th- for three and a half hours. Yeah. But it took three and a half hours for me to find it. You know what I mean? Because that's just... That's crazy. That's the name of the game, man. That's how well they blend into their surroundings. Yeah. And just moving 50 feet to your left or to your right, too. It's crazy what Changes that can do. Changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. But so your buddy, you're talking about your buddy. He missed a shot. And... Yeah. So that was that was this year, uh, public land, A-zone. Um, and that was that was a cool buck. But that's that's where I was going with that. It was just you don't realize how much just over the years that you've learned to identify, wow. like, what to look for 
until you're trying to teach someone new. How hard is it to teach people? It, I mean, I, I've been teaching people for a long time. A lot of patience, yeah. I've out for 11 years now, mm-hmm. and, and it's still like I forget so much that is secondhand information to me mm-hmm. that I don't even register as something that's a teachable moment. Exactly, yeah. And that's something that I had to kind of slow down. And I love it. I love watching people, and they're my age too. Yeah. They just never had an Not opportunity. And, well, in California, how many people grow up not coming from a hunting background or having relatives in their family that yeah. hunted, except for maybe great-grandpa Joe back in the day. Yeah, I mean, that was me too. I didn't grow up in a hunting family yeah. at all. We grew up in the mountains, but yeah. we weren't sportsmen. My dad killed deer when we were hungry. Yeah. And uh, so... And you needed meat. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, <clears throat> California push. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's so cool to see them get all super excited into it and how amped up they are for next year that one opportunity got them hooked Mm -hmm. and we didn't even go home with an animal yeah you know and we plowed through brush samish i ended up breaking the microphone off my camera and it was miserable and i was like guys you're gonna hate me but uh i think we need to go over there we need to get down in that little draw that meadow i was like you got all this brush that's the only dense oak meadow over there and i'm like hey i'm all this is how it's going to go down i'm like we're going to crest over this if we see a deer they're going to hear us see us long before we're ever going to know they're there we're going to end up bumping them up i'm going to try to stop them you guys get solid and and when you're ready take a shot Mm -hmm. 50 yards later boom buck flies up big wide fork at horn no way beautiful buck yeah hauling ass down there i've got a one of those little sitka blacktail calls use it as a stopping device my buddy got me from um his his friend who makes drop shot calls up in alaska oh cool and uh so i've got one of those and i'm hitting it hitting it and he finally stops at 200 yards both these guys are freaking out and i'm trying to hold the camera steady on the deer and also and i'm I'm like i'm like trying to help them out so my priorities are like camera pointed in the direction try to give them advice along the way and i didn't want to say don't take it or take the shot i wanted them to do it all on their own yeah so i didn't want to force a shot or anything to do it yeah i I, I don't want to sit next to somebody and say, shoot that buck. Yeah. Never. I mean, I'll tell someone to shoot that buck if I'm like, shoot that buck. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like 99.9% of the time, I'm going to let the person make the decision when mm-hmm. they're comfortable. Just, you know, and I just try to stay out of it. Yeah. But I learned the hard way of probably overly being in it in the past mm-hmm. and telling someone to take the shot. Yeah. And so one of the guys, it was his first deer hunt ever. And the other guy, it was <laughs> our exciting. second deer hunt. He, he's been practicing archery. He, he lost a ton of weight. He lost 40 pounds getting ready for archery season. No way. Good for it, him, man. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, so he's been studying archery. This deer's quartering away, like pretty heavily. And so he's on him. And he's carrying my Nosler 6.5 Creedmoor. And that, that rifle's a tack driver. And it's 200, just under 200 yards. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking, I can't take that shot because he's thinking archery. My other buddy, first deer hunt ever, and he's been shooting his whole life. Um, and he's on him, but he doesn't know where to aim. Uh, he puts it on the neck and pulls the trigger. Oops. Shot right over the back of its neck. Yeah. And uh, we're all, like, we're all jacked after the shot, you know. And, and oh, for sure. And he's like, oh, man. He's like, I think I got him. And I was like, hey, let's not celebrate till it's over, you know. It's not over till it's over. And uh, they're all like, oh, I'm shaking, you know. They just got their first dose of hunting adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And I could just tell. I was the like, these guys are hooked. Fever. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> exactly. Sure. We get up there, and that deer's 
standing down at the bottom of the hill looking back at us again. I'm like, shoot him, you know, and, and he runs off and I was like, shit. So we, we spent like four hours just looking for any sign of blood or anything, got on his track and not a single drop of blood. He shot yeah. right over the back of him and they were both so bummed out. And I asked my other buddy, um, the guy that's been studying bow hunting, I was like, were you on him? He's like, yeah, I was on him. I was like, why didn't you shoot him? He's like, he's quartering away. I was like, so? It's a rifle. <laughs> it's a rifle, buddy. And uh, he didn't know that. And he was just like, damn it. And then at the end of the day, um, we ended up plowing through the Samish brush and getting out of there and getting back to Buddy's house. And they're like, man, that was so freaking cool. Yeah. And that that was just made everything worth it. Yeah. Just seeing their reactions to all that. And yeah, it was fun. So when you're going out, you know, and you're talking about you're going into the King's Range and stuff like that. What mm-hmm. are you, are you bringing, what are you bringing for food? Like, what do you eat? Um, I mean, dehydrated meals, obviously. Obviously, um, yeah, yeah. And I personally like a lot of granola bars. Um, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything different maybe that I use. Uh-huh. Um, I like to carry tortillas because I'll take. tortillas are the best. They're amazing. Because yeah. if you bring bread, they turn into tortillas anyways in your backpack. Because so. they flatten the fuck out. Yeah. So you <laughs> might as well just bring tortillas. Tortillas have a ton of calories and tons Dude, of good stuff. Loaded. In them. Yeah. They're loaded with calories. Yeah. So I'll, I'll actually take like peanut butter, honey, um, granola, and I'll wrap it up in a tortilla and eat it that way. Uh-huh. Or I'll take dehydrated foods, you know, yeah. and I'll, I'll make a burrito out of them. And that's super good. So speaking of dehydrated foods. I know that you said you haven't tried peak. Yeah, looking forward to these. I've never even seen a pesto yeah, pasta. Like we cooked it. Oh yeah. At home. It was not. I was worried earlier that we put too much water in. Eat. Have more. Yeah, that's fantastic. What are we eating? It's the chicken pesto pasta. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, it's super good. I I mean, I love Peaks products. As far as flavor goes, compared to, you know, having used Mountain House for a very long time. Yeah. Because it was the only house in the block, mm-hmm. you know. No, I'm going to eat more of that. You know, it's, you can't really beat it. This meal is, it only took two-thirds of a cup of water, so 5.3 ounces so that's definitely less because all the other ones way are, less. Yeah. And how important is water? Oh, when you're in the back country and mm-hmm. you're like rationing, like I'll ration myself three liters of water a day. Yeah, especially and, in California. Yeah, you're not getting the snow melt that you're getting in a lot of the other high country states. Yeah, right. Or springs or anything mm-hmm. like that. And yeah, you know, it kind of gets crazy. So, what I try to do is I factor four liters: a liter for cooking, and then three liters for drinking. Mm-hmm every day and that was one thing you know before i developed a relationship with peak refuel that was one thing that i really liked about their product not only that i can't see it because we tore the top of the bag off you know but the amount of protein and and everything like that that also comes along with it because i always Mm -hmm. look for heavy protein yeah in my meal and plus i noticed on there the uh expiration date Mm-hmm. The shelf life on those are less, but I see that as a good thing because it's not packed full of preservatives. Mm-hmm. Mountain House are good for 20 years or something like that? Probably. Well, so Peak actually has food scientists mm-hmm. that develop their meals. Like, I've been to their warehouse. I've met their food scientist staff. 
great people. And it's a, I don't know, I, I have yet to have met somebody that's like, oh, wow, this is terrible and I don't yeah. want to eat it. Yeah. You know? I think a lot of people probably eat the mountain houses because they're everywhere. Well, it's just been everywhere. I'm going to keep eating this. Yeah. This is really good. Uh, but, so talking about backpack food and yeah, what you're eating on the mountain, um, I'll give you some of these. Okay. Yeah. That'd be awesome. When you leave. And eat as much as you want. That is good. Yeah. I haven't had much of the chicken pesto. I'm very much like a creature of habit in uh-huh. the sense of like... You find what you like. Their beef marinara is amazing. Mm-hmm. And they just came out with like a... I want to say a beef stew and a, and a chicken... Something that's new. I can't remember. It's one of their new chicken ones. But they're all so good and such hearty meals that mm-hmm. like... I'm just like, cool, these are the ones I like, so this is what I'm going to eat all the time. Something they've done really well, for sure, that I noticed right off the bat, is their chicken. I mean, texture. It's not crunchy. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, it's not like... Like real chicken. <laughs> well, like, there was one meal that I used to get, and I can't remember if it was, like, chicken and mashed potatoes or what it is, but I would have to take the entire freeze-dried chicken nugget out of the bag and shred it into pieces before I added water to it which with the little amount of water that you're using for chicken and how much the water actually saturates and rehydrates the food is like ridiculous but food for thought that's That's really good use code legion15 at checkout and get a discount (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I'll definitely be utilizing that for sure yeah yeah, that's awesome, man. I really like their products. But uh, so we talked about your A zone hunt this year and helping mm-hmm. out new hunters. Yeah. Which I thank you for helping out new hunters. It's a huge responsibility, I think, for us as sportsmen to continue to carry the torch mm-hmm. and helping other people, whether we are taking them to our own hunting spots or finding places to hunt with them or, or however yeah. it is that we're doing it whether it be public land or private land, mm-hmm. helping new hunters. Excuse me, man. Um, it's like the backbone to our, our preservation of our tradition. Yeah, it's, it's a responsibility of all of ours. And that's something that you, you see, but not in the same aspect in the Midwest. Um, something that me and Ross, uh, my buddy that I run the Sites of Outdoors with, he... And I've talked about a lot of, there's a lot of secret, like, I don't know, what's the word? Secretism? What, yeah. Secrecy. There we yeah, go. secrecy. With whitetail. In a small, uh-huh. small little town, people are so secret about their hunting that they don't, they don't and share they're it. they're hunting on fucking private land anyway. Yeah. For the and, most part. Yeah. And, and small little few hundred acre wildlife management areas. Mm-hmm. And so that, that can be tough. Out here, I mean, it's hard down here. In the Bay Area, you got to drive a little bit for mm-hmm. for um, to get out to some public lands, good hunting public land. But um, there's so much of it out there that you might as well take take somebody California's out. California's an enormous state. Yeah. yeah, share it with them. Share it with new hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, carry yeah. the tradition. Mm-hmm. So you kind of had a pretty excellent 2019 season from. The social media aspect 
of things and, and looking at the success and mm-hmm. the awesome opportunities and you targeted a buck in California. Yeah. You know, that you found. So let's talk about your 2019 season. Let's kind of get into the, the grit of it and the preparation and, yeah, you know, what you did. And then I also want to talk about your out-of-state hunts because you, you went into places you didn't know, mm-hmm. you'd never hunted before, and you really just stuck it out and you fucking got it done, dude. Yeah. Like, you guys crushed shit this year. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so 2019, uh, I live on the coast up in Mendocino County, and... A lot of the land, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of the, there's hundreds of thousands of acres of timber land up there and a lot of it's privatized, hunt clubs and stuff like that. Yeah. And so it's difficult to find a place to hunt right on the coast there. You got Jackson State Forest. Um, mm-hmm. It's super steep, ridgetop roads, so everything's hunting downhill in there for the most part. Um, and it's thick and crunchy and it's A-zone, so it's it's dry and loud. You can't leave the, the, the timber roads. So I've hunted that when I first moved there because it's public land right next to me. Why not? And it was tough. Um, I saw a fair amount of does in there. And um, as far as the bucks go, I had a couple of spikes, that was it. Um, <clears throat> so I reached out to my landlord who has been there his whole life. And I was like, hey, um, looking for a place to hunt, you know, here that I can spend my afternoons. And if you know of anybody that's got a little bit of land that I could bow hunt on like that'd be awesome and and he's like all right well ask around he never like a couple of years went by basically yeah and i finally i was taking pictures of deer that i'd see on the side of the road and stuff like that and and a lot of really really nice bucks up there on the coast the the mountain lion population and the heavy steep country that's that's in from there pushes a lot of those deer out to the coast where it's a little more open they can find um shelter in the rural neighborhoods and so like running around my house there's a massive blacktail out there <laughs> huge so i'd be hunting bow hunting jackson state forest come home and there's just a 24 inch wide four by four sitting in my neighbor's yard i'm like oh my god what the heck man and so <laughs> so much time out in the forest yeah i had i had deer coming through my yard and i live on like it's a shared lot about an acre and there's woods next to me and you know, I could probably shoot a deer there, but it's just, what's, what's the point? Like it's, it's okay, great. You know, cool. Um, where's the challenge? Exactly. Yeah. So I ended up taking a picture of this buck in 2018 on this property out there on the coast and from the road. And I showed my landlord and, and I was like, Hey, check out this deer, you know? And, and he's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's sweet. That's he got some big old legs on him. He, he doesn't care about the horns at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's on this property. He's like, oh, I know that guy. And I was like, hey, if you can get me permission on there, like, I'll give you meat, I'll give you a hundred bucks. I don't care. Like, yeah. what do I need to do to get permission? And he's he just kind of laughed it off. He didn't know I was serious. Like, yeah. I'm like, hey man, I'm serious. I, I'm looking for a place to hunt. And eventually I got him to uh, reach out and I ended up hunting that uh, the late season. I archery hunted it during rifle season. Um, and passed up a lot of smaller deer because I was kind of, I saw this giant dark horn four by four and I was like, I want that deer. I was obsessed. And I passed up a lot of good public land hunts because I was so fixated on that one deer. And looking back on it, I mean, I probably should have just went out and had a grand old time in the mountains. Instead, I was so fixated on this buck. Yeah. And so that was the buck that actually ended up wounding a year and a half ago. He's still alive. Um, I saw him early this year. And, uh, so yeah, getting back to that, I had permission to this property 
So I said, I'm going to scout the heck out of it. It's mm -hmm. not very big, few lots equals up to about 80 acres. Mm -hmm. And so I hung cameras all across it. I hung an observation stand, sat in it for hours in the spring, watching these velvet nubs come out and go around. And I was like, all right, so I'm going to put a stand there. I'm going to put a stand there. Like I'm like putting mapping in, it all. yeah, mapping it all out. And, uh, so I ended up putting a stand, um, in kind of the more open part of this property and, and, uh, sat in that for, I think about five sits. I only had an opportunity to fork it horn, but I was seeing deer. I was seeing them all over and these are kind of like it's like a rural neighborhood like 30 acre lots type things with a house on each one basically so they're um i never even obviously asked about shotgun or rifle i was like can i archery hunt this property and so got permission on that and this buck was in there literally every day that i wasn't there it's it's ridiculous like that really? that'll mess with your head yeah you're hunting a tree stand and, and these deer are there when you're not there no rhyme or reason to it um so i ended up moving putting up another stand in the timber on the east side of this property and because uh, he was in there consistently just it people say blacktail don't pattern when you have blacktail that are say non-migratory kind of homesteading these deer particularly in this spot very small range it's crazy how you will literally see deer across the dirt road that won't cross that dirt road yeah. and there's deer that'll stay over here and it's pretty cool to see um but yeah ended up putting that stand up in there and and i i missed them one day i was because of the camera this is it was the first time that I had missed an opportunity on a deer because of the camera. How'd that feel? I was so mad. I was, oh, I was so mad. Cause I didn't know, like, I didn't know if I was gonna get another opportunity at this buck. And so a few days later, I think it was about a week later, I ended up sitting in there again and, and it was a foggy morning. Um, and I'm in the dark timber, big timber and it's like 15 minutes after first light. It's still fairly dark, but yeah. I waited until obviously I can pick up my pins. Yeah. And so couldn't even see my peep. It was so dark. I just relied solely on anchor point and, yeah. and my pins are glowing and, and I anticipated where he was coming in, settled in, touched it off. And really, and in the video, you can, if you have the only way I can see the outline of the deer, is on my phone actually where mm -hmm. the brightness turned all the way up mm -hmm. and you can actually see the outline of the deer really yeah oh that's cool on the bottom left corner of it and you can hear it just whack just mm -hmm. hit him and you hear the deer he runs off like 20 yards and i'm like what the heck he stops and i'm like did i hit him yeah and i'm kind of like at this point like well it's over like it's it is what it is you know sit there for about 30 minutes and he was running with a spike spike was running back and forth spike was so confused at this point the deer was yeah. bedded down and dead i didn't know that yeah um spike Spike's looking around confused for his buddy yeah that happens all the time yeah yeah and so they ran off same direction spikes blowing uh this deer wasn't blowing i'd i uh, <clears throat> it was a single lung he's quartering towards um <clears throat> single lung and, and liver shot and 
so he had come back in. I backed out of there. I gave it several hours just because it's, you know, I didn't, I, I knew that that deer ran towards the property line and I was just worried that I was going to have to have to go knock on doors and be like, hey, mm-hmm. can I go look for a dead deer? And, and we're here in California, coastal California, people kind of, you know. Aren't really a fan of hunters. No, not at all. Not I got all. some, I got some funny looks sometimes walking in there with a bow. Oh so. yeah. And uh, I mean, there's nothing they can do about it. 100% every, all the rules are followed and everything. It's, it's all good. It's just, it's just the way it is, you know, yeah. people around here sometimes. And ended up finding them and man, that was cool. I was so relieved just especially cause on that same property I had nicked um, what would have been the biggest blacktail I have ever had an opportunity at. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just stewed over that. I lost a lot of sleep over that deer. For, for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so 10 months later to, to walk out of there, you know, with all those hours put in being successful, it felt good. Even though the private land hunt, yeah, it felt good, man. Private land's still a grunt though. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just a different type of chess game is all it was. It, it really is, you know, and, and I, I mean, I know a lot of people that hunt private land and a lot of people that hunt, uh, public land and, um, I think maybe what's different, like, you know, you have plenty of opportunities on smaller deer, mm-hmm. on smaller bucks. I think it's easier to target a bigger buck and wait it out for a bigger buck. Yeah. As to where on public land, it's kind of like, you take this away. might be the only buck yeah. I'm going to see the entire season. Yep. But that can also happen on private land as well. Yeah. You know, it's it's all about what's, what's habit and what's going on on the property. Mm-hmm feed and water and And that's why i held out too because i had months of trail camera pictures of these where they're showing up what times yeah i watched them with my own eyes you know or in the spring was there Mm -hmm. you know what i mean and and that is so important and so helpful yeah you know like there was a lot of years up in in the d zone where i hunt in the high country where we weren't seeing bucks you know, two years straight, you know, or that's you know, tough, barely seeing does and, you know, putting in 10 or 11 days, whatever, like nothing crazy, but putting in the days that we could. And, uh, until I hung trail cameras up mm-hmm. on game trails and, you know, springs and all the different places, like until I was actually able to see that, yes, there are bucks mm-hmm. on pictures. I was utterly hopeless and defeated every time I went out hunting because I couldn't find the animals. Yeah. You know? So trail cameras are super helpful for sure. And for that, just like you said, knowing that they're there because you have proof, but you've never seen them with your your own two eyes, that will make you go crazy more than anything. Yeah. And that's something with A-Zone where I put cameras up and I I kept going back to this spot. Like, I loved it. I had only ever seen does in there but i knew there were bucks in there like i had proof yeah so it just drove me to go back i never killed a buck in there and i spent a lot of time in there (laughs) (laughs) and you know i don't know it's kind of one of those places too that i had to boat in and then hike in and i just i love doing that i just feel so cool when i just can go by boat and then hike in from there i just know that there's going to be nobody around me it's awesome so Speaking of boating in and, and then hiking in, yeah, 
What's your experience with doing that this year? Um, let's see, did I do any of that? Oh yeah, I guess I did. I used a raft this year yeah. <laughs> uh, up in Idaho. Yeah. And so we you guys had a pretty prolific hunt. And not to mention probably like the coolest ass camping spot I've ever seen. It was it was amazing, man. Like I since then it's been what, a month, a little over a month since we got back, or about a month, and we talk about it almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> I would too. Yeah. Yeah. And we are just so excited for next year just to see what because it opened up a whole new opportunity for us it's a whole new chapter yeah ross grew up hunting in oregon all over the state mm-hmm. and elk hunting in oregon um it it can be really tough Rosie from everything hunting, he's told me is it's tough nightmare for yeah you're in like a rainforest jungle yeah basically yeah and he hunted the rosies on the coast and he hunted the rocky mountains up in the the northeastern part of the state and mm-hmm. eastern part of That's the state hunted out by john day a bunch okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, I drove through there um, on my way back down. That's four-by-fours on the wall in there came from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we we came up with this plan. We're like, it was actually after our whitetail hunt in Oklahoma, and we're like, what the heck are we doing, man? Like, why are we hunting Oklahoma whitetail when we could be hunting elk somewhere else, you know? And it was mainly because... This is all DIY. You guys are coming up with your plans. You're figuring your shit out. You're mapping out your your hunts yeah they're not getting they're not like special draw tags or anything they're all just over the counter Mm -hmm. hard work tags yeah and that's something ross is really good at he is really dedicated to getting in and doing a ton of research making the phone calls getting on forums and he does a lot he puts in work to many hours of research on figuring out where to hunt and that's exactly what it is man it's work yeah to research especially when you're going like Mm -hmm. for me i'm extremely fortunate that most of the places that I've hunted or or hunt, um, I go in with a lot of knowledge yeah. about how to hunt it and about where to yeah. hunt and about what to do. You know, and not only that, just being overly stubborn and dedicated to making sure that I yep. kill a fucking animal. But, you know, it's having information when you go in is so important. So to have a guy like you know your partner mm-hmm. that's doing that kind of information and research is super handy i really like that you said he's using forums too because mm-hmm. forums are kind of a lost art yeah you know as to where like with social media everybody has a face and a game and a yeah whole fucking thing forums is blank internet mm-hmm. you know what i mean there's no more other than like johnny 66 with no profile picture or information about who they are yeah you know yeah he he did a lot of research and we kind of narrowed it down to areas that we wanted to be able to hunt mule deer and elk during the same overlapping season Mm -hmm. so because neither one of us have ever hunted mule deer before um he we've seen him He's seen a lot more than I have because he's hunted Eastern Oregon, um, and he's seen some giants out there, and that's got to be. And that's the other thing about Oregon too, like, you know, every you don't get an any bull tag every year. Yeah. So, he said, you know, growing up there, he put in his time, and he hadn't got his break on getting the type of bull that he's been after, and that that was another reason why we we're like, let's go to Idaho. Let's. I don't care about the terrain. I want animals because mm-hmm. I'm willing to work for it. You know, like. Yeah we want animals and and that's a big thing too is like if you want animals they're there 
Yeah. You know, you, you just have to be willing to do the 10% that the 90% isn't willing to do. Yeah. And that's what was pretty incredible about that hunt too, is like we were seeing, we saw way more elk than mule deer, way more. And there was people that were looking at them too, alongside with us. And they would laugh and be like, all right, we're going to go find them somewhere else. Because we're we're not doing that. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, we didn't, we didn't meet, we met a couple of guys that charged it hard for two days and then they were burnt out. They were done Mm -hmm. and they left. And we hunted it for a week every day (laughs) up and down the mountain. And we took one break day after we got his bull out of there. And then did you guys have a targeted size of, or caliber of bull you're looking for? Um, just any bull will do or. So we were told in, in the area that we were wanting to work to hold out for a six point. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Why the hell would I do that? That's silly. This is public land over the counter hunt. Like I've never, I I never shot an elk before. So I was going in there with the intentions on shooting the first raghorn that gave me an opportunity. That was kind of my goal that I set for myself. And unless it was a spike next to the road, (laughs) then I was going to shoot it. I fully understand. Um, And then Ross, he, he's killed plenty of spikes and, and he shot this elk that had been wounded uh, years prior. So big old bases on it. And just, it just wasn't much on it. And neither one of us are trophy hunters. Mm -hmm. We obviously, you just, who wouldn't want to shoot a big, beautiful animal it's majestic you know so i totally get it ross's goal was to shoot something basically the biggest elk he shot you know he just wanted to shoot something of decent size and and but knowing him he he wouldn't be able to hold out that guy (laughs) shoots the first animal that walks out on opening day every single every year if you watch our videos he shot an animal like you can't even write these scripts but it goes the same damn way every time Uh uh-huh Ross shoots an animal on opening day, and then we've got to grind it out and get me an animal. <laughs> That's what happens every time. And uh, That's so funny. It's hilarious. And so we were the only ones to cross the river and spike camp up on the mountain. Um, I can see why, because we're carrying 60-plus-pound packs up, you know. we're Retarded steep. Yeah, crazy. And video never really does terrain justice. justice it really doesn't at all for steep yeah and there's a couple of shots where you can see it pretty good with the gopro because it's so wide that it actually kind of is able to capture Shows that the terrain yeah. yeah and uh so we camped up on the mountain we didn't go nearly as far as we wanted to because we got in to the elk the day before um saw that big beautiful bull on our way up the mountain and they were already kind of making their way through we just happened to kind of get up you know close to them yeah um so we we're like oh we should probably camp right here and then they they all moved on we we're like no we, we need to get a little bit higher so we camped up there on the mountain just gorgeous you know looking down on the the river and just the mountains yeah, up there like, and you guys did a video or a picture of like opening your tent door to the wilderness it's just yeah it's amazing just unbelievable yeah and the entire time we were both there, we were both just like looking around, just like, oh my God, this is yeah. amazing. I just want to move Well, I mean, here. I'm watching it on my hunts while I'm out and I'm yeah. like, damn, that just looks so sick. Yeah. We're looking at all these like cabins. They're like seasonal cabins along the river. We're like, we need to buy one. Let's go buy this one. Looking it up on Onyx. Where's the tax address? You know, yeah. like send them a letter. And uh, we're like, yeah, the wives probably wouldn't. I guess we're going to move out here together and the wives can, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was, that was uh that was cool, man, where we set up camp that first night and 
wouldn't you know, opening morning, of course, Ross shoots an elk opening morning and it was chaotic. You're not going to see it like in the video because, um, it just kind of, it got really fast paced and chaotic real quick. And we're both trying to kill elk. Yeah. So like the camera got left on the rock yeah. while we're running around. <laughs> He's on the right side of me. We see him coming and they came in quick as shit from the other side of the mountain. They crossed and were coming straight towards us. They did, ended up cutting down. 200 amazing how quick they move huh? amazing in that country covering like, miles yeah incredible and so i'm like hey they're, they're down here i ended up on top of the rock and and ross runs to the left side of me i couldn't get a clean shot because they're moving pretty good i think um there were some hunters that were a couple miles away that spooked him out of there yeah. and in a matter of 15 minutes they're already on this side yeah and so He's like wondering why I'm not shooting yet. He didn't realize that I ran down the mountain to get around him in case they popped out on the other side. Boom, he shoots and I'm looking up at him. It's like 20 yards between us. I'm like, did you shoot him? Did you shoot him? He's not talking to me. And I'm like, did you get him? And I'm like, screw it. All right, so I'm sitting there. I see the cows come out on him. No bull, waited a while, cows moved on. I, I go back up there. I'm like, did you shoot him? He's like, yeah. It's like, okay. He's all, he's he disappeared because <laughs> it's steep yeah. and shot him that literally like rolled down the mountain um we ended up finding him uh down there it, there was a follow-up shot which we didn't get any footage of it just yeah. i literally as soon as he pulled up his rifle i like stopped recording <coughs> and he shot and i was like all right well that's that and it was cool though um that's that was Ross's biggest bull to date, and that's exactly what he wanted to do. That was his goal: is to shoot the biggest elk, you know, yeah. so far. That and, was my goal going into Montana this year. Yeah, and I couldn't find it, so I shot a cow. Yeah, and so that was that was a really cool moment, um, really relieving, and of course, in Ross's fashion, opening day, and <laughs> and something exactly I what he wanted. Yeah, something I didn't know about Ross is. Uh, basically camping out there with wolves and bears and stuff like that and and he was a little more nervous than i knew and oh really and so once he told me that you know i i definitely poked some fun at him yeah. it was uh <laughs> I was, we're hanging meat in camp and then we we're gonna hunt in the morning and pack it out the next day and he's like man i hope wolves don't show up tonight and of course his dad calls in on the satellite communicator and he's like hey be careful wolves reported in your area and i'm sitting there looking at this message we're both laying in the tent i'm looking at him with this newfound knowledge that he's scared of wolves and i'm like like should i tell him like it won't do any good to tell him yeah i probably shouldn't tell him hey ross uh there's wolves in our area so just so you know he's like are you kidding me it's like that meat's hanging 20 yards from our tent i was like i don't know what to tell you man i hope they show up he's like no i hope they don't yeah i'm like i'd love to shoot wolves yeah, it was funny hunting in Montana this year, hunting with some local guys, and uh, I just met him on the mountain that day, <clears throat> and talking to him, and and hearing how worried they were about grizzlies and wolves, and like, mm -hmm. I don't ever even think about it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really like. Because, I mean, where I hunt is is highly concentrated population of grizzlies, and there's a lot of wolves as yeah. well. But I just never even think about it. I just think about hunting and killing an animal. Yeah. Getting the fuck off the mountain. Yep. You know, so it's, it's funny how many people have crazy fears of predators. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I don't know if they're unrealistic fears or realistic fears, but I know that 
you know, and, and four generations of my family hunting, we don't have any crazy predator stories. Yeah. Yet. No, I mean, attacked by animals. That's one of the things, like me growing up in the mountains. The first, but I, yeah. we, my, me, my brother would get stalked by a mountain lion. It didn't happen all the time. It happened yeah. once, but we got stalked by a mountain lion uh, walking up the hill. We got dropped off the school bus when we were pretty young, and it's uh, about two miles up this mountain dirt road to get home. And, and uh, yeah, we'd hear sticks crunching. You know, we'd stop, and they'd stop. And Creepy. heard it again, and it's like getting dark. This you know this time of the year where it gets dark and four forty-five. Yeah, and, and I would spend three hours a day on the school bus yeah, when I was you're young. Getting, you're getting home. You're getting off the school bus yeah. at three thirty or four and yep. hiking home in the dark. And we told Dad, and he's like, he's like, oh okay. And so he goes in there, and and sure shit finds the tracks on the oh, trail wow. that paralleled the road on a deer trail. Yeah, and found the track where he was popping in and out of the, the timber. Followed us all the way up the hill. And dad's, dad's like, if I see that cat, I mean, I'm going to do what I need to do to protect my kids. But yeah. that's, yeah. Yeah. That's but, crazy. So first day elk down, mm-hmm. your turn. Yep, my turn. So we the next day we packed out um, all the meat and everything, got that hung in our base camp. And we had a little bit of inside knowledge of somebody um, that had hunted that area for a while. And, and he told us crossing the river is not a good idea. He's all, don't do it. He's all, it's not preferred. And... So you did it anyway. Yeah. And me and Ross look at each other. He's He was a guide in, up in Kenai, drift boat guide in Alaska, and he was a whitewater rafting guide on the Rogue. And I, I grew up on the Eel River and all the rivers surrounding, and we're both looking at each other like, no, we're going to cross this river. It's going to happen. We're looking on satellite. We're like, all right, well, you can't really tell what a river's all about by satellite images. Yeah. But we're looking at it, and I don't see, you know, any crazy rocks or obstructions. We're like, we cross. We had three different spots where we picked to cross, and it was a piece of cake, man. Did you we, hike a raft in? No. So we were able to. Um, we had a twelve-foot Avon raft, um, and Ross's dad ended up finding it on the internet because um, they had a sixteen-foot whitewater raft, but it's a lot bigger than what we really Who wanted wants to carry that. Yeah. So we, we were able to back it up to the river and. Um, cross the river and then tie it up on the other side we were a little worried that bears were gonna shred our raft but we we're like all right well if that happens we'll or figure it out will steal it. that was also another thought too mm-hmm. but then we we're kind of thinking if someone is also crossing the river they're hunting and if they want to be that shitty and steal our raft well hopefully they got something coming to them so yeah um right. we took that risk tied it up on the other side of the river and it all worked out and it all worked out yeah, yeah. um so yeah we packed out ross's bull um took a break day used it for scouting a little bit and and uh ended up hunting some other stuff that wasn't across the river and ran into a bunch of cows and um didn't see any mule deer at all it was crazy ended up running into those those sheep mm-hmm. um which was super cool it's the first time i've seen a sheep up that close how neat huh oh it was crazy those yeah. animals are incredible they're yeah, just sheep just muscle like yeah. Crazy. Isn't that gnarly to look at them and just be like, dude, that's sheer muscle. Yeah. And savage. Yeah. Dude. And the big one that was there, and <sighs> he was quite a bit bigger than the, the three um, younger ones that were with them. He was just so much bigger. Yeah. Like, holy cow, look at the size of those back legs. Yeah. And, uh, Flip-flop. Yep. That was neat. <clears throat> um, so that made that day worth it. We covered some ground that day. We were going to take an easy day, hunt around it. And once we started getting up that mountain, I'm like, yeah. we need to go there. We get up there, Ross all looking around. There. I was like, we need to go there. <laughs> Just keep going on up. Yep. And that was that was a pretty fun day, honestly. <laughs> um, 
So the next day we ended up spotting elk way up on the mountain, the spotting scope. Mm-hmm. And I was like, they're there. They've been there for the last two days. Let's do it. And Ross was like, all right, let's freaking do it. Mm-hmm. So we crossed the river um, in the dark, got up the mountain, um, got about a quarter mile to him. We could hear him bugling and we're like, oh, we're close. We need to get in there, you know? Yeah. And we were about 30 minutes late getting to the herd. They had been moving out. And so Ross was running the camera that day and, and I was like, I'm just going to go, man. He's like, yeah, go. He's like, just do what you need to do. Call ass up the mountain. So I ended up, my plan was to get on top of this mountain and then hunt back down and try to cut him off. 100 plus elk in a single file line so i was like i can catch him and uh so i started just getting it as hard as i could up the mountain and made it to the top it's like 20 something degrees up there and and i was gonna side hill zigzagging back and forth in the direction i knew they were going until i crested and to where i could see him steep enough you'd be able to see him from pretty long ways away yeah ended up getting messages from ross's dad saying that there was other elk coming in from the other side and so I was like, I was confused. I thought he said that that was the herd that basically changed directions and went back the other way. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of ignored it. I was like, there's no way. And then ended up, he sent me another one saying, you know, they're coming, you need to go. And so I, I uh, doubled back over there and I didn't know that it was a different herd. And, but I didn't care. Like I, I was going to shoot the first raghorn I saw, that was yeah. my goal. That's what I wanted to do. Absolutely. And it was crazy though, man. I, I uh, ended up glassing these elk up at like 200 yards and then I close the distance and they changed direction straight at me. And so I'm looking at them. I see a spike, uh, maybe two spikes. I can't really remember for sure. Bunch of cows. And then I see just one with just splits at the top. And I was like, I knew he wasn't big, but I knew he wasn't a spike. So I was like, that's my bull. That's the bull I'm going to shoot. Yeah. Waited for him to come in and I had a little cow call in my mouth and and hit that a few times to get everything to stop. And I'm offhand just holding the rifle up, standing in this brush and he's quartering towards me and just put it right on him and just touch it off. Dumped him? No, he freaked out. He started barrowing straight towards me, like plowing over these bushes straight towards me. Boom, stops. And he's just steam coming out of his nostrils five yards from me. Isn't that crazy to watch It was insane. And just billows of smoke coming out the oh. mouth it was like oh my god this is so nuts yeah it was crazy so i'm looking at this elk in his eyes i had racked another shell in because i was like maybe i'm you know just instinctual just boom another shell and i'm sitting there looking at him and i was ready to dive like out of the way because he was coming straight towards me and he just stopped five yards got wobbly fell over just tumbled down the hill just mm-hmm. took a few rolls and then slid down the mountain like 200 yards on his back in the snow mm-hmm. and i'm like oh hopefully he's gonna stop and then he ended up stopping and tumbling again or sliding mostly and uh luckily he got hung up on a little piece of brush otherwise he probably would have went five plus hundred yards yeah. sliding all the way down the hill yeah and uh, there wasn't a ton of deadfall or anything pretty smooth smooth that hillside cow I shot in montana this year she went for like a 600 yard slide into the gnarliest ravine in the bottom of the canyon yeah luckily we were hunting uphill so it was all downhill but downhill's dangerous you got a lot of weight on your back oh yeah and it's slippery pouring down snow or dumping snow and then get down lower and pouring down rain it was cool though like it was just one of the battle of the elements right there yeah yeah Yeah, it was crazy we ended up getting when i shot him you'll see like in the video um 
you'll see that there's no snow on the elk. And then as soon as it goes into just a couple of pictures we showed, it's like two inches of snow on top of this elk. And the matter of time that it took us to put like the video camera away and grab the other camera and take pictures, it was like two inches of snow dumped in a matter of just a couple of minutes. No way. And then it cleared out. Oh, wow. It was crazy. So That's nuts. My, uh, my Utah buck, the, the one that I took me three and a half hours to find that yeah. removed. Um, when I started cutting that deer up, it turned from relatively blue skies to a whiteout blizzard and was a nightmare. Like, yeah. snow piles up quick, dude. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Um, so that was my first elk. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I mean, since I started big game hunting, I, that's obviously, in my opinion, that's the pinnacle. Like, uh, uh, elk hunting is yeah. just so freaking cool, man. Elk hunting's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm hooked. I mean. Yeah. Well, like, <laughs> this year when I was in Montana, I'm looking at these mountains and trying to find elk. And, every, I mean, every day I was on large herds just never found the caliber of bull i was looking for yeah but i'm looking across valleys you know three and a half four miles away yeah and it's all snow covered mountaintops but what, you, what are you using to to look that far uh my just my maven okay yeah just my spotter yeah and uh you know i usually what i do is i i use my 10 by binoculars on a tripod mm-hmm. and then i'll switch over to my spotter if I see animals. Yeah. And by saying if I see animals at that distance, like... Little... Just little dots. specks in the yeah. snow. Yeah. Right? Moving specks in the snow. Mm-hmm. Looking for fleas, basically. Yeah. And, uh... The, uh... So I'm glassing and I look at this mountain. And the entire mountain top is fleas. Mm-hmm six seven eight hundred elk wow i mean I, they, it was way too far for me to yeah. crush the distance to uh-huh. get over there in a punctual time mm-hmm. i made it over there the next day yeah but uh <clears throat> it's just so cool to watch herds monstrous mm-hmm. herds of elk just moving around yeah you know yeah and that was that herd that we got into and there was tons of people that saw them and but everybody just, they would see him be like, would you look at that? And they'd laugh and go somewhere else. Yeah. Cause nobody's making that kind of a hike. It's crazy. Yeah. There was a few people that would, but they're all local. The guys that were going across that way were, were local. Um, there was one other group from Oregon and they did really well too. They shot their, I think they shot three elk in the first two days they were there. Mm-hmm. And so our group was basically Oregon people. Um, yeah. it's funny. I mean, you know, I'm sure you go places. They're like, where are you from? And you're like California. And they're like, huh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you just feel so obligated just to defend yourself. You're like, yeah. Hey now, <laughs> you know, there's real hunters from California. Okay. I used to, Yeah. I used to feel that way. Yeah. And what I've learned just in my experience is that I go into a lot of States and I get, I, I don't hunt draw tags. I hunt all general tags. Uh-huh. And I kill more animals and and hunt harder or better or, you know, make it happen Yeah. Um, on general tags more than the residents. Mm-hmm. 
So when people want to bag on me for being from California, bag on me. Yeah. That's cool. I could give a shit. I'm a way better hunter than you'll ever be, and I have more proof than I'll ever need to try to yeah. express to you about how good I am at hunting. You know, so like dish it on me. That's I just great. use it I just use it as fuel, man. Yeah. Like, you wanna it's, it, it, it's it just, fuel it's fuel to hunt harder it is. and do better and is, be yeah. more successful. You gotta turn yeah. all that negativity into just encouragement. Positive yep. energy. Yeah. And just absolutely dude, and that I love that you put it that way because it's it's fuel. That's exactly what it is. And when people especially with social media, you know, when you were mm-hmm. talking about negative comments or, you know, people bashing on other people, whatever when someone talks shit, it makes me work that much harder just to be that much better so I can just be like, cool, dude, keep talking shit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep killing things, and I'll laugh at you while you're talking into your camera about how it was another bummy yeah. season for you. And and you know what? Like, There's something to be said with those types of comments, too, because th- a lot of the people that are negative like that it's, it's a very small group of people mm-hmm. most hunters that i've ran into are super nice Genuine. people it's just like any if you want to use extreme sides of things yeah. there's they're the minority but they've got the biggest voice because they're the ones talking yeah. so it's it just gives a, it shines a bad light on people that are, that are so negative and bash on each other with all of that when there's really not that many of them it's just they're the ones talking. The so loudest. you hear them. Yeah, they're loudest, yeah. yeah. And that's well, and, it's just and, annoying. You're never going to get rid of them. You and, just got to ignore them or yeah. deal with it. Well, and this is... I'm going to use this... I won't use specific community, but, like, you know, for example, in society, right? Yeah. We have a percentage of the population that's 1%, mm-hmm. right? And you would assume by how loud and vocal and sensationalized and media coverage that this fraction of the community is 50% mm-hmm. because they're the loudest fucking people in the room and everybody else is just quiet and, you know, they just go to carry on their life and do whatever they want to do and they're, you know, they're mm-hmm. just doing their own thing. Yeah. And because this group is so loud, you would assume that it's 50%, but really it's like, one percent or less yep you know what i mean and it's like how like it's unfortunate that that mentality that's the reality yeah 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 but yeah man i i really like that you know it's for a long time i would let other people's negativity burn my bridge Mm mm-hmm and I kind of got to a point, and I don't know how many years ago it was, but, you know, negativity or shit talking or, you know, people saying shit behind other people's backs and yeah. and all that kind of stuff. For me, it just became like, all right, I'm going to just do that much better. Mm-hmm. Keep talking shit because that is fuel for my fire to – my buddy Kyle always says – 10% kill 90%, mm-hmm. right? 10% of hunters kill 90% of dead animals that you see every year, yeah. right? So, and and I ta- I've taken it in my head a step further, is that that 10% is doing 90% more work than the hunters that aren't killing shit. 
Definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, and in my opinion, that's honestly what we have to do. And it's exactly what you said in, in Idaho. You guys are crossing the river. Someone told you not to cross and you're climbing up mountains where other people are looking at elk and being like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. And you're up there doing it and you're being successful and you're getting your kill, you know, and that's the difference. And it feels good. It feels good. It feels good. To, I mean, and we had, we had locals that told us, they're like, man, you guys did great. He's like, this, this doesn't happen to a lot of people. It doesn't, he's like, you guys got lucky. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Ross looked at each other like, I don't know if luck's the word I would have used. And I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but yeah. the opportunity was there. Yeah. Like you just had to be willing to do it. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> to what we were talking about when we were sitting down earlier is dude, willingness is the biggest yeah. game changer on the planet. Yeah. And, you know, getting, getting into big game hunting a little bit late, not coming from a hunting family, I did, I couldn't help but have this feeling of like, I need to try to prove myself. I was going to say, do you feel like you have more to prove than somebody else? I would say so. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I grew up, I've got some friends that have had really great opportunities and they've killed, you know, a lot of amazing animals and I'm sitting there with just feeling of jealousy and and you can't help it. I mean, mm-hmm. just the way it is. And yeah. I'm like, man, that that'd be so cool, you know. And, that passes. And yeah, yeah, definitely. And The more and, experience uh, and the more time in the field. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's funny looking at a couple of my friends that have had those good opportunities and now they're looking at what I'm doing on like going out in public land and, and they're like, man, that'd be cool. So it's kind of interesting to kind of see like that like kind of change. Paradigm shift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's, that goes back into the public private land mm-hmm. hunting, right? Like I know so many people that have fucking phenomenal private land hunting opportunities out of state for mule deer and elk, yeah. you know, and, and all these different animals and they kill monsters. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're paying, you know, good money. give or take $5,000. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and they're, you know, getting private land tags and they kill monster animals, you know. And for me, like, I've never, I've never had that kind of money to spend. Yeah. I, I did, uh, I spent $1,450 on a hunt in Montana years and years and years ago. And there was four of us that went on this hunt. And it was the biggest sham operation I've ever been on. Really? It's fucking terrible. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so I've never, and that wasn't even hunting private land. That yeah. was just paying for a lodge. And the guy said you could hunt the private land, but when you got there, you actually couldn't hunt the private land. Huh. I don't even want to get into the whole story, but. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's totally not what it was advertised to be. And, uh, you know, stuff like that, that just makes me want to hunt harder. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I'll look at guys that they killed a really big buck, you know, or they killed a really big elk Mm -hmm. once and they had a special draw tag, you know, not a over the counter tag, not a, not a general tag, you know, not a tag that everybody can go buy. You know, it's 
a five-year tag or a 10-year yeah. tag. So you're expected to kill a fucking bigger animal. You know yeah. what I mean? You're expected to get a 350-plus better bull. You know what I mean? You're expected to get it in California, for example, 150-inch or better 4x4 four four or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. You know, and, and for me, it's just like, dude, I'm going to hunt general tags. I, I sure if I ever get drawn for a special draw tag, that's great. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be just as successful with general tags as I'm going to be with a special draw tag. And it goes back to what you're talking about, dude, and putting in that work and putting in that time and that effort and the energy and also being able to dedicate yourself to doing it. Because mm-hmm. if we don't dedicate ourselves to it, if we're going to weekend warrior it, we're adding how many more levels and layers of fucking difficulty to crushing it yeah you know what i mean yeah and and man i i i can't be more thankful of like the season we had it was it was really cool it all lined up and that's kind of i kind of explained like why we named our idaho trip scripted is because we talked about it we talked about it for a year and, and we i think every good hunter kind of visualizes everything like you just can't help it you're like I hope it works out like this. I hope this happens in a perfect world. This is what I want to happen, you know, and you just map it out and you go over and over and over it in your head so many times. And this hunt did not vary much from our game plan. It like basically, you know, it went right by the script. It was crazy. Well, the script is your buddy kills opening day and you grind it out. Yeah. I mean, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's what, I mean, that's what we've done for the last few years. He just, and he told me, he's like, He's like, Joe, you're my good luck charm. I'm, I'm just going to take you with me on every single hunt. Uh-huh. And <laughs> that way I can kill an animal on opening day. I was like, perfect. And then we'll work our asses off for mine. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> you're all sick, buddy. But I, I like that. Like, I'm a glutton for punishment. Yeah. You know, I love that. And that, well, that kind of brings me back to when I f- first started hunting big game. Was, it, was, it was a grind. And looking back on it, I am so thankful that I struggled so hard because it makes me so much more appreciative of it gives you such a different gratitude yeah yeah Which, if it if it was easy like it, it it wouldn't be as enjoyable that's my opinion on well it. And i think that grind that you're talking about and and i'll throw this back to you know paying for access and private land and land management tags and all that the grind of of the hunt you're talking about is so much different than driving up to a lodge and going out and kind of getting your pick of whatever animals, mm-hmm. you know. Now, don't get me wrong. If I could afford it, I'd go on. Oh, yeah. Sense, but why, yeah, why would you not? I can't, I can't <laughs> afford that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I wish, but mm-hmm. I get it done just as well on, yeah. on the other land. But Yeah, I, I would never I would never bash on, like, a pay-to-hunt or whatever. It's it, Why wouldn't you do it if you had the opportunity? Yeah. That'd be, well, it'd be me, so I much mean, fun. Right now, like, the biggest thing I'm trying to convince my dad to do is – you know, let's go on some, uh, I don't want to hunt. I don't need, I don't need to buy a tag for myself, but let's go get you on some like paid hunts because, yeah. you know, you're Why not? 68 years old. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. It'd be fun. You, know, you don't need to grind it out on public land anymore. You worked yeah. your whole life to get to where you're at. Yeah. Let's go kill some fucking toads. Yeah. I don't need to buy a tag. I'll just come with you to hunt. Yeah. And you know, and it's fun. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And that's how I've always been with hunting too, is it doesn't matter what type of hunting it is. I'm going to try it. And every style of hunting I've done, I've enjoyed different aspects of it, Mm -hmm. whether it's sitting in a, a tree stand with a rifle, you know, or you're in the mountains with a bow, like there's enjoyable aspects to all of it. 
and I love all of it. Yeah. Honestly, I I mean, I've, my favorite thing to do is be in the mountains, regardless of the weapon. I just I'm more of like the type of country I'm hunting yeah. versus the animal or the weapon. I just I think uh can't remember who it was, but somebody used the term trophy place and I like that. Mm-hmm. Just being in those areas and for me that's where I can just relax and just feel completely the most at home comfortable. Just out in the woods, no communications to anybody. And and that's the thing with like got that in reach thing. I was like, this thing's great. It is kind of gives you some peace at mind of, you know, if you do get in a bad spot, but at the same time, it, it does reconnect you to the rest of the world, and that kind of changes the feeling a little bit. But I just keep that mm-hmm. thing turned off <laughs> unless I need it. So yeah, yeah. Unless you're feeling lonely. Yeah. Holler at the wife. Yeah. No, I, I did. I always and and she's like, I'm not gonna bother you, and I'd always tell her, you know, no, like text me. You're not gonna bother me if if yeah. if I don't respond to you, it's because I'm. I'll get I, back to you. Yeah, I'll get back, get back to you, and you. and yeah. she still never did. She still never was never asked like, oh, how was your day? I was like, you do that i like seeing that you know <laughs> but she's really good about it feels that. good at the end of the day to come home or to yeah to come into that message but sure. she just she's just like no it's your time you know i don't want to interrupt your time I'm like it's a satellite device it doesn't just pop up and tell me i have a message unless i turn it on okay. but yeah so um i mean idaho we ended up getting my bull i shot my bull uh 34, 3,500 feet in elevation above the river that we crossed. Mm-hmm. It, it was a trek to get up there. Yeah. For sure. It's a and, trek to get down from there, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, what kind of gear are you running? Um, I mean, I know that so you're a big Sitka guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I so like, what, what Sitka gear did you use for that hunt? Um, okay. So as far as the Sitka gear goes, I was wearing uh, the mountain pant. Um, just kind of a medium weight pant, cargo style. Okay. And then the base layers that I have, I've had the, uh, just the, the long T, which is just a synthetic polygene type material. And then I also have the, uh, the quarter zip Merino blend shirt, which for cold weather, I like the full synthetic better, um, because I, tend to sweat quite a bit yeah. and the synthetic dries out faster than the wool does for me really the merino mm-hmm. yeah really and i don't know if it's just their blend or what the deal is and to be honest i don't like the smell of merino when it gets wet <laughs> it smells mushy yeah it just kind of gets you, a, get, you know what i'm yeah. saying like it smells yeah. like washing machine mush yeah does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah it kind of gets just this weird musty smell to it yeah it and then goes it goes away it goes though. away yeah it, it does it does go away i'll promise you uh-huh. you know because the marine like this merino that I have on right now, it's like, when I first get them, I will try to go 10 or 15 days of gnarly sweat in them mm-hmm. before I wash them. Because if I can do that, that's like a good break-in period. Yeah. And after that, they usually won't smell. It's only in their first, you know, four or five sweat soaks that they're yeah. like mushy washing machine mold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But it, I think that's just the property of Merino. It's across the board. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And uh, so that was my, my base layers that I ran. And then for insulating, I just ran, it was like a gridded fleece, like Polar Tech mm-hmm. type, just quarter zip. Um, and then the Kelvin light hoodie uh-huh. and basically synthetic down lightweight jacket. And that thing is incredibly warm. Yeah. And what I like. Synthetic liked, down is kind of an amazing yeah. thing. When I first started 
getting into like the layerings and stuff like that. And you can go forever on that's a whole different topic on yeah. layerings. But uh, I was like, what the heck, man? It's not even real down, you know? Yeah. I was like, what the heck is this, you know? Until I started using it and realizing that super the, beneficial yeah the breathability <laughs> of it the how, how well it dries yeah. is really cool so like that one when i hiked up to the top of that mountain when i was trying to cut that herd off i was sweating up a storm sweat in 20 something degree weather is not good when you're wearing two thin layers yeah so i put that kelvin on immediately as soon as i got up there put it on and it absorbed all that moisture and evaporated it off from yeah. the inside out and that's oh, crazy. super important because um, i was dry by the time i shot my elk which was when I got to the top of the mountain, it was probably about 35, 40 minutes later. So when I ended up shooting that elk, I was dry mm-hmm. from walking back down the mountain. Um, and so my exterior shell, um, my rain gear is the, the Sitka, um, what is it? The storm. Whatever. Yeah, they're just their, their, their top rain gear that yeah. they have the thick stuff it's heavy it's bulky it's thick but it works really freaking good yeah. so that's important yeah for it's, sure staying yeah. dry is super important yeah and i've got another set of rain gear that i carry i call it my 20 percent chance of rain gear mm-hmm. um it's super packable i have the same yeah i do that same exact thing i have yep. heavy rain gear yeah and then i have my super lightweight just in case just in case that i can always carry if I yeah and that super lightweight stuff it'll end up permeating eventually yeah. but it's good to have in case those little just rolling squalls come through. Yeah. And I mean, or if you need a light windbreaker really quick. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like down, down weather, you know? So like for Mm -hmm. me this year, I was using synthetic down. Yeah. I mean, I use synthetic down every year for, for years, but when I would hike in and I would just sweat profusely, Mm -hmm. but the best part is, is exactly what you were saying. You stop for five minutes or, or ten minutes, and all of a sudden you don't even realize it, but you're dry. Mm-hmm. How did I just get so dry? Yeah. All of a sudden, you know that that to me that layer, you know, it, it's so important. Yeah, it definitely is, and I think that's the importance of your synthetics and your merinos and your wools and stuff like that. Is yeah. It's it's being able to dry out quickly is what I found is because who wants to be soaking wet in 10 degree weather I think the number one most overlooked part of gear is your underwear uh-huh because a lot of people will be like oh I've got my synthetic layer one so in, in the coast guard we call them layer ones your wicking layer layer two is your insulating layer and then your layer threes is going to be your waterproof or your outer layer because mm-hmm. um, we wear dry suits because water's cold as shit out here who the fuck wants to swim in the northern pacific yeah, ocean off in the winter California. So. <laughs> <laughs> um so i kind of take the layering in the same way where i wear a layer one you know and on even on my, my legs i wear a layer one um i didn't end up wearing an insulating layer under my mountain pant just because i knew we were, we were moving enough to where i just didn't need it mm-hmm. but even in the summertime i'll wear the wicking layer because um, I, I found that even with that extra layer i stay cooler mm-hmm. pulls that moisture off your skin and evaporates it out um well, I lost my train of thought again there. Um, Your pant layers and layering it like Coast Guard. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, anyways. Um, so that was how, that was kind of how you ran your gear system. Yeah. 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 Um, what pack do you use? I use the uh, Mystery Ranch Metcalf. Nice. Yeah. How do you like Mystery Ranch? I like it a lot. Uh-huh. I don't really have any complaints. I've used a few different packs in the past and that was the first like high-end pack that i've actually bought Mm -hmm. um 
and I really like it. I was like, oh, I can make do with, you know, a lighter, cheaper pack. It was fine. And then I started doing more research on it, just like fitment and everything. Um, and it's a game changer, man. Really? There's definitely a couple of modifications that I've kind of made to the pack so that it works better for me. Um, one being when it breaks in the little pad on the, that goes on your tailbone, the padding kind of got too soft where I could feel a little collapses a little bit yeah so i ended up putting like a half inch piece of memory foam in there and that was amazing but that pack has worked out really well for me packed out um my the private land black tail that i shot my bow this year i just gutted and packed them out whole on that pack yeah and then my wife's deer that she shot this year she shot her first deer this year um on that same property actually and i gutted that thing out packed it out whole and then coming off the mountain the first load off the mountain with Ross's bull, we weighed my gear and I was 117 pounds Fuck. coming off the mountain. That's rough. It was insane. And I felt good. I was just like, yeah, yeah. you know, like, I know. That oh, I just, well. yeah. yeah. You just get that, that weird satisfaction of just, just grinding it. Grinding it. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, that was my cow this year for sure. Yeah. And we got, we got off and I, I grabbed Ross's pack and I set it in the boat and I started laughing. He's all, what? And then I pick up my pack and I set it in the boat and it cracks the bottom of the floor on the boat. No. <laughs> no and then he gets it. He's like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. He's like, you think I'm a sissy, huh? Or something like that. He said something like that. And you just look at him and you say, bitch. <laughs> um, it's, it's funny, like with mine and Ross's relationship with that, like he's, since we've kind of put the videos out there, like our, we get along super good. Like our yeah. friendship is great. Like we're, we work really well together and people are that know Ross, they kind of see him as this like high level, just go, go, go kind of guy. And then they see him on our videos and realize like, he's actually funny. Yeah. You know? And, uh, so they're like, Ross, it's kind of funny. I've never seen that side of you. You're kind of the, the funny guy and Joe's just the grinder. Yeah. And so it works kind of good that way where, you know, you have these kind of mixed personalities i guess that's super rad yeah yeah my uh i had a, a similar moment kind of when i was packing out my cow this year and i'm coming down to the bottom of the mountain and i'm coming up to the trailhead and this truck is driving up the road and just kind of stops in the road and i've still got 50 or 60 yards until i come out of the area where I am and I hit the road and this guy and his wife are just sitting there looking at me confused and watching me and I've got both my tracking poles mm-hmm. I have a hind quarter hanging off one hip belt I have a hind quarter hanging off the other hip belt I remember seeing a little clip and my pack oh. is loaded down yeah and they're looking at me like what the fuck is going on with this because there's no horns yeah you know what I mean there's no antlers anywhere yeah and you kind of the trail kind of dips down and then you kind of have to go up this like little eight foot or 10 foot incline to come mm-hmm. up. I don't know how I've made it this far with everything that I have on me. And I, and the guy comes out of the truck and he's like, Hey, do you need help with anything, buddy? And I'm like, water. That's all I need is fucking water. Mm-hmm. If you have water, let me get a water. And he's like, I got a beer. And I was like, I don't drink beer. I just need water. Yeah. And I, and I get up to the, to the top and stop in front of the truck and unclip my belt and set my pack and everything down and fall into the snowbank like just it's done destroyed yeah fall into the snowbank and then he hands me ice cold water and I'm pounding it down and I'm like hey can you do me a favor and he's like what I was like 
my truck is 400 yards down the road. Can I put my backpack and these hindquarters in the back of your truck and, you know, just, I'll meet you at my truck and I'll walk to my truck. And the guy's like, sure, no big deal. And he picks up one one hand. He's like, see, you must have another pack out to do tomorrow morning, right? And I was like, no. Oh. <laughs> That's the whole fucking elk. Yeah. And he puts the second hindquarter in the in the in the bed of his truck and he goes to grab my pack and he's holding on to it and goes to step and falls. Cause he was expecting like a backpack. A backpack maybe that weighs forty pounds. Yeah. You know, and there's like a hundred pounds of meat yeah. in my backpack. Such a typical man trying to get all your groceries in one trip. Retarded <laughs> man is what I am. And he, he grabs my pack and goes to lift it and falls. And he's like, oh shit, like there actually is a whole elk here. I yeah. Like, yeah. I'm not bullshitting you. I was like, I know I'm a tiny little guy, but you know, I wasn't making two trips No. at that point because it was all downhill from yeah. where I stacked everything up. But it's just so funny to have somebody do that. Like, whoa, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I totally get it. Ross's dad, when he when he picked up our packs and put them in the back of the truck, he's laughing the whole time. He's like, you guys are idiots. It's like <laughs> coming off that steep, like one tumble, you won't stop. No. You will fall hundreds and hundreds of yards to the bottom of that. Yeah. And when we were making our first trip from Ross's bull to our spike camp and we're walking along the rocks right there it's way steeper than it looks and i told ross i'm like hey don't fall because you won't stop and he looks down and he's like okay we get back to camp and he's like you guys using trekking poles yeah 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 well i was i was cradling my rifle and so i was using one trekking pole right there and he was using two um why didn't you strap your your rifle into your backpack um i had you know i'm not 100 percent sure why why i mean i i kind of thought about it but at the time, I just felt like it was just easier to carry it because mm-hmm. I had <clears throat> my tripod and camera. And, and I had, I think the real reason I did it maybe was because I had just everything strapped down so tight. Because I had on that pack, I had hindquarter, front shoulder, neck meat, <sighs> um, plus everything That's we were hunting terrible. with. terrible. Yeah. So, and that was just to get to spike camp. And then we were loaded up camp and meet the next morning and made our way down to the raft and crossed the river. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, when he, we got back to camp and Ross is like, you know, I didn't even think about it. Like one wrong step, like you're dead on that ravine right there. It's just so steep. It's 200 yards to the bottom of it and it's steep. The places that we put ourselves it's, and the things that we do. Yeah. It's know? so cool. And that's, <laughs> it is, it is so cool. And that, but you know, yeah. that goes again into the, you know, 10 kill 90 Mm-hmm. You know, and you know the ten that are killing the ninety are doing ninety percent more than any but anything anybody else is willing to do. Yeah, you know we're putting ourselves in retarded situations and retarded positions where one wrong move and death is the ultimate. And it's calculated risk. It's mm-hmm. I'm going to go back oh, to what sure. I do for a living, and it's it's something that we do really calculated risk yeah it's something that we do really well is like our organization is is calculating that risk um and the biggest thing with risk is identifying the risks involved and how to mitigate it 
and that's literally something that me and Ross have done for you know career-wise. You calculate risk, career. you talk about it, you identify what the hazards are, and you talk about what you can do to, to mitigate it. And yeah. it's as simple as that. And that's the whole reason why I was like, hey, Ross, you know, don't make a bad step because you won't stop. Like, that's the risk. The biggest risk involved right now is falling down this hill. Yeah. So what can we do? Watch your step. Yeah. Like, yeah. Easy, as simple as and it I'm can sure be. And I'm sure for you guys communicating back and forth, you recognize exactly what you're doing and what you're saying. Yeah. And you're also recognizing the depth and magnitude of the statement while it's said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yep. And that's the most important thing is just don't get complacent. Yeah. Most accidents happen. Most of them are human error. And it's... Lack of awareness. Lack of awareness and complacency. Yeah. And that's, you know, the stuff that we see on the coast is it's, it's 90% human error. Mm -hmm. Um, with people that put themselves in a bad spot Mm -hmm. and that's important man like it's knowing just being cognizant of the hazards involved right for sure yeah yeah man right on well i mean i guess we're nearing the end of the podcast do you have any concluding thoughts or um no there huh i guess we didn't even get into the mule deer in idaho Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, we got so. I feel like every we got time so wrapped into the elk. Yeah, every time you'd ask me a question about it was like one question, we ended up in a whole different conversation. That's how it goes, though. Yeah, it does. That's the beauty of it. So we're not yeah. wrapping this up. I guess we still have one we more. Still have we still have a mule deer tag? Another another leg, yeah. Yeah, um, a whole another leg. This so, was a good one. So well, before before we dive into it, mm-hmm. The dead eye question, right? There's always a dead eye minute. Okay. Right? Dead eye sponsors podcast. And, uh, you know, there's always something, you know. So if you had to choose between whitetail hunting in a tree stand or western hunting mule deer, right? Mm-hmm. But. If you choose whitetail hunting, you're 100% success every year. And let's call it a 10-day tree stand hunt or a 15-day tree stand hunt. Mm -hmm. But if you choose western hunting, your success rate is once every 10 years. Oh, shoot. But you're western hunting and you're constantly moving and you're not stuck to a tree stand 15 days a year. What do you choose and what's your thought process on why so it's it's easy it's western hunting it is definitely really yeah um even though your success is all the way down to instead of being successful every year in a tree stand let's get all cliche on this success is not defined as killing an animal for sure sure. (laughs) um definitely western hunting man i've never sat in a tree stand for 15 days i'd probably blow my fucking (laughs) so i've sat in a tree stand for 15 days i know you have and that's why i kind of wanted to use that as the question because it'll drive you insane Mm -hmm. it really will and the only thing that's going to make someone sit in a tree stand for 15 days is knowing what animal is there Mm-hmm. No one's going to sit in a tree stand for 15 days if you don't know what's there. Yeah. yeah. So, it, but that'll drive you nuts and it'll make you so just unenjoyed until you get that animal. And then you're like, well, why the hell am I even doing this? Yeah. And so for Western hunting, the places I've gone, and I say this like all the time, and I'll just say it out loud. Like I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I would never, ever hike up here if it wasn't for the pursuit, pursuit oh, of an animal. I'm not going to be like, 
damn, that's that looks gnarly. Like a big fucking mountain. I'm gonna go up there. The yeah, and there's people that do that, but that's just to look down the other side. That's and not for me. Another one. <laughs> that's not for me. Yeah. If it wasn't for the pursuit of these animals, I wouldn't go in the wilderness and get to the places that I get to. If it wasn't for them, and so it's it's easy for me. Yeah. I would take that that mule deer once every ten years because here's the thing. I know for a fact I'm going to see animals, whether or not I shoot one, that's a different story. Mm-hmm. But if it's 10 years of the pursuit of these animals, and then every 10 years I get one, just imagine the shit you're going to see along the way. Yeah. And that's that's what it's all about, for sure. Yeah. To me, Western hunting is life. Yeah. Definitely. And that's why I do not want to get stationed on the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. Because you're stuck in the tree stand. I'll make the best of it, whatever I can do. And, and I would take Western hunting to the East Coast. I would find the, the Appalachians or whatever, wherever mountain ranges I can get to. Well, and I'm going to hunt it. That. Like, I'm not going to go Just hike careful, in there. and careful of the backcountry bumpkins out there. Yeah. The old West Virginian, what do they call them? The blue something? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. The blue people or something. Be careful. Yep. <laughs> so, and on to the mule deer tag. Yeah. Um, so... Ross bought a mule deer tag in case we were successful on elk. It was kind of a bonus hunt for us. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't you know, four days in, we're tagged out on elk on this trip. Did you have a mule deer tag too or just right? I didn't because I've never shot an elk before. So my, my goal was to shoot, shoot an, elk. Focus on yep. an elk. I wanted to shoot an elk. That's um, why I buy the Montana big game combo tag. Yeah. You get both. This year I'm going to buy both just like it's expensive, but worth it. It's worth it. Yeah. (laughs) Because yeah, I mean, I hunted Ross's tag like it was my own Yeah, and that's how we both approached it. Like we, isn't that such a fun thing to get to hunt somebody else's tag? I love it. But you're just there for the fucking ride. Yeah. I love it. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll go along on any hunt. Like someone's like, Hey, you got time off. You want to go on this hunt with me? Hell yeah. I'm never going to say no. If I have the time off, I'm going, I don't care. I don't care what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, That'll take you a long way, man. Yeah. It's, it's been fun. I've been on some pretty fun trips doing that. Yeah. And uh, so our goal for this was like, we're just going to take it easy, have fun, go spot up deer in big country and put a stock on them. And, no, and no, 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 no. <laughs> we ended up spotting a deer and Ross is like, and this was in between our hunts. Actually, we spotted our first mule deer buck and, and I was like, dude, let's go. Like, let's try it. We got up there. We closed, the di- we closed twice the distance, and we we're still 1,000 yards away. But to close that 1,000 yards, it was going to be a couple of miles to get a shot on them mm-hmm. to close that 1,000 yards. Because you're glassing straight across. Yeah, straight across. Yeah. So as a crow flies, it's 2,000 yards. As a boot hikes, it's probably 2,500 yards just to close the 1,000 as a crow flies. Yeah. And, and so this, like I said, was our break day, and we were just kind of scouting, checking out some new areas. And... and uh, we decided to just try it for the heck of it. Got up there and we just saw this just black front moving in. Mm-hmm. And we're both sitting up there with like a bottle of water each and no rain gear. And we're like, this just isn't smart. And the temperature dropped like 20 degrees in a matter of 15 minutes. And Oh, wow. And so with that front. And so we, we got out of there and we're like, damn it. Wish we had our proper gear because who cares? Like we, we had the right gear. Yeah. We, if, if we had it with us. Yeah. We could have done it, but yeah. so we backed out of there, and then you know a couple of days later we shot my bull, and then went back into the the mule deer portion of things. Um, we ended up no idea what we're doing up there. Neither one of us have ever hunted mule deer. We don't really know their behavior. We know it's a deer, but <laughs> that's about it. Yeah, and so and we've obviously never hunted big open country like that before. Um, so we're like, all right, well let's just go look 
places where we think there's going to be deer, you know, let's go hunt it. Okay. Um, ended up driving around quite a bit, trying to look for some areas and wasn't finding any sign in the snow or anything up high on the roads and a lot of people, people everywhere. Um, we must've seen in the time we were there, 300 side-by-sides everywhere, everywhere, everyone hunting beside. And they were getting deer out whole, like, because they're shooting them off the fucking road. And I'm like, me and Ross are looking at each other going, where the hell are these guys going? And we found a road where they were going. They had a width restriction on vehicles. Uh-huh. So we're like, all right, well, that excludes us. We can't take the Tacoma up in there. Yeah. And so we're like, all right, well, we don't want to go there anyways. That's where everybody's going. Yeah. So we... Uh, road buck. Yeah. And so we ended up finding this road that had a big old tree down across it. And and I'm like, we need to go. Let's hike up in there. And Ross is like, oh, I don't know. Meh do we really want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's like, all right, let's go. And then he got all this stuff and we, we started hiking up the road we made it like 200 yards from the truck. And he looks over and just sees a giant three by three a bag flies off. He's like, dude, there's a buck, giant fucking buck. And he's throwing bags on. I'm all calm that, calm, the, you know, calm down, man. Like, yeah. where is he? And I'm like, keep eyes on him. Let me get set up. Let me find him. And, and he's like, I lost him. And I'm like, that's why the f- you shouldn't be getting so freaked out, you know? And, yeah. and like, we're kind of like arguing this total sibling moment. Fuck and fever. yeah. And, uh, and this deer's like 600, 700 yards away. Yeah. And he's like, he's not going to hear us. I was like, why give him the chance, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so we spent about 15 minutes. We ended up relocating him and he's a little bit farther away now. And, and we had to stack both the backpacks cause it's so steep uphill to get a shot on him. So he's laying like perpendicular to the rifle and trying to aim up this hill. Isn't that a motherfucker, dude? Oh, it was... It was Laying down on a side hill for a prone shot is so a bad. nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uphill like that, and, like, your neck's just going numb because you're... Cranked. Yeah, and uh, so I'm shooting... A, it's a 30 nozzler with two 10-grain bullets through it, and that thing's a beast. Yeah. Granted, we hadn't tested it at 700 <laughs> yards, but at 500, it center-punched, you know anything you're aiming yeah with a 10 mile an hour crosswind didn't even push the bullet at all yeah and so i was like all right this thing's dead on i was like ross you want to do this it's your call um he's like yeah like um, he's like this is the biggest deer i've ever seen and so we get the yardage dial it in and wait for it he touches it off and we didn't know it at the time but he shot about a foot behind him mm-hmm. and it was dead, dead still, dead calm. I mean, that's really the only reason why he's like, yeah, let's do this. He's like, we know that the wind, the, the elevation on this rifle is like dead on. And, you know, we're going to, I think that's why people probably aren't wanting to say it, but there's a lot of people who are like, why the hell would you ever take that shot? And in the moment, you know, he felt comfortable. He felt confident. Mm-hmm. And so he made the decision and, and, you know, it, it was, it was close, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and the story is we that buck walked away unscathed and gone forever <laughs> yeah right and uh so he's that he's like to me this year too yeah biggest three-pointer of my life yeah he was he was big and so he was just bummed out and he's like basically not even knowing if he wants to hunt anymore he's like i got my bull elk he's like are we just getting greedy now like what are we doing let's just go enjoy that camp with dad and and you know let's just you know whatever he's like i'm done i'm over it and i was like let's go like let's just keep going man like there's yeah we're probably not gonna i'll be honest with you we're probably not gonna see one that big but who cares let's go and uh 
so we ended up walking down the road some more and a mile or two down the road we stopped to grab some food and um i didn't even get my food bag out and i throw binos up on the mountain and i spot a buck right away 600 yards bedded all you could see is his his spine line and and his his rack and i was like real white face on him and really tan like super tan hide i mean you saw the pictures of that buck and yeah. he wasn't like gray at all he was like bright tan yeah which was pretty cool yeah and uh i was like ross he's a good one he's a shooter i was like i think he's a fork by three he's heavy we got the spotting scope out saw he was a four by four and <laughs> i was like we need to go he's like he's like he's at 600 yards even he's like I was like, that's a bit of a stretch, man. We just missed one at 700. I was like, we're not going to do that again. That's stupid. You imagine how bad you would feel if like we missed an opportunity because we didn't want to climb up that cliff. (laughs) So we went up as light as possible. I carried a, uh, I was carrying the camera and my, my bino harness and that was it. And we just started getting it up this hill. I'm like, we need to go. We need to go right now. And we started just hammering up this hill and I'm looking at Ross and he, looking back, we were both like, man, I wish you would have got footage of me crawling on hands and knees up this hill. But in the time, I was like, I don't want to piss him off. Like, <laughs> look at you, you know? Yeah. So I'm like trying to just keep us motivated and getting up the hill. And Well, and it goes back to what you said earlier, which is you're not going to sacrifice an animal for your shot. No. Yeah, not for the footage shot, no. Yeah. Um, so... I ended up grabbing the rifle. I'm like, I'm going to take, take your fucking gloves off and crawl on your hands and knees and let's get up this hill. And he's like, okay, let's go. And we started just getting it up this hill. I'm like, we only need to make it to that burnt log. I think we'll have a shot from there. And we get up there. I'm looking down. I'm like, he's still there. And I'm like, Ross, let me go 30 more yards. We did that twice. 30 more yards up the hill, no shot. 30 more yards up the hill, ended up getting up this, went up this finger, this ridge that was really freaking steep. And... We got up there and this buck, I, look, I put my glass on him again. He's, he stood up stretching. I'm like, he's up, he's up. I'm like, get ready. We're like getting the bipod all set up. He's, you know, dying, trying to catch his breath and getting the rifle all set up. He's like, where is he? I'm like, he's, he's behind that green bush. He's all, what green bush? You know? It's like, I don't know how else to explain Let's it. Look at the mountain. How many green bushes are there? Yeah. Oh, that's so and he's like, fun teamwork. Oh, yeah. And he's like, he's like, all right, yeah, I got him. I got him. And I'm like, wait for him to go broadside. And all of a sudden, and I'm sitting next to this. 30 caliber magnum cartridge with no hearing protection on a camera on him and boom and i'm just like you know just ears ringing and and uh yeah i didn't see him after that i'm like trying to get the camera on him and and ross is like he's down i was like what i was like i don't see him he's like yeah i see him he's rolling he's down and at that point we were both just like it's one of those moments that when you're not a hunter and you haven't been put in those situations that it can be kind of funny looking from the outside in like these guys are literally acting like they just won the lottery why are they freaking out we're freaking out we're like we yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to us we did and so it's one of those things that's it, it can be kind of you only understand it you only understand it exactly yeah. yeah so it can be kind of like one of those things where you get so excited it's basically embarrassing but it's like it's so cool <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah we ended up uh getting over there uh realizing that ross put a high shot on him and that's something that's not going to be in the footage just because we we didn't get any footage so we couldn't put the story together for that aspect of it but it's another one of those shots that it was high um and ross is like i think it's me man he's like i think i have it in my mind i'm so used to shooting kentucky windage that shooting 355 yards Mm -hmm. and he's like should i put it high and it's like no aim dead on like it's dialed 350 
press the trigger. And we, um, I think in his mind, he just couldn't get over the fact that he, he still he's high. far away. And yeah. I think he put it high, yeah. I do that sometimes. Yeah. I, I'll do, I'll be lined up on my rifle, mm -hmm. ready to take my shot. And I don't use dials and, yeah. you know, uh, MOA reticles. And yeah. Whatnot. Holdover, simple holdover. You know, but even sometimes, like, knowing the range and knowing the performance of my bullet, yeah, I'll all of a sudden be, and I'll end up aiming too high. Mm -hmm. It's just instinct. Don't, I won't tap it off, but, you know, then I'll come back down. Yeah. And I'll be like, all right, whoa, 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 what are you doing, dumbass? Like, yeah. why are you going so high? Chill out. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. I I think that's what happened. And, you know, we were talking about it, and... Um, that's just kind of what we think is maybe he just subconsciously was like Kentucky windage he's 355 yards I need to aim high yeah. it's like no but we ended up getting over there um, and that deer was was paralyzed and this was the story that I was telling you when I was like yep got caught on the mountain without a knife I usually have a knife on my bino harness and uh, got over there no knife yeah. nothing and so I ended up having to grab the deer by his back legs flip him over and then basically just stood back and put another one in him yeah. right in just the spot where i'd spare the most meat and it's another one of those things man it's just it happens yeah. you don't want it to happen but it happens well, and it happens sometimes man. yeah and especially when you're filling multiple tags in multiple states across the country yep you're gonna have a higher frequency of that happening mm -hmm. than you will if you're filling one tag a year yeah and i don't know that's i kind of wish we would have at least got something you know to put into the footage on that it's just in the moment that's when we're like our priorities shifted from Film. documenting to getting over and getting this animal getting put down done. yep yeah and i totally relate to that man yeah because it, it just happens it is yeah. what it is um but so that that was our first mule deer experience mm -hmm. and it was a cool buck yeah. really cool buck and it was amazing how big the body was on that I was like, this is a small horse. Like, this thing's a small elk. I was just blown away. Like, used to seeing blacktail, even whitetail. Like, I shot a, a good, mature whitetail in, in Oklahoma, and the body on this mule deer just dwarfed anything. And our plan was to, like, drag him down in the ravine. We got over there. We're like, we are not dragging this deer anywhere. This no, thing is dude, huge. You find the softest, nicest, easiest spot to cut it up on yeah. the side of the slope and do it yep. there. And we, we basically, the only, it was so steep, the only thing we could do was put his back um up against a tree and then i use saw that in the video didn't you post a video of breaking it down yeah 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 so the time lapse yeah yeah so that's what we had to do because that video thanks yeah. yeah we actually i mean that's one of my favorite things to get a time lapse of skinning it out and stuff right. and i think it's, i think it's cool watch the breakdown of yeah and so we we cut that thing up that deer's neck was the size of my elk's neck he was so freaking fat. Right it was just crazy. Yeah, and they were, like, they weren't even really showing any pre-rut activity or oh, anything. Really? His his tarsal glands weren't stinky. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. I was like, man, I could only imagine what this buck's gonna look like in three weeks. <laughs> yeah, just giant. And so that was that was actually the worst pack out for me of the trip. And I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the last pack out and me knowing that, but like that one hurt. Or your third pack out in one week. Yeah, third animal, like fifth pack Full out. Pack. Yeah. yeah. And 
so it was just that one hurt a little bit and then <laughs> it's funny too because on that pack out i set up quite a few shots where i'd go forward put the camera go back and then did that like four times mm -hmm. and like the ending scene where we're walking away you know i had to go back and get the camera and the pack on that was hurting you're not going to take the pack off no to go get the camera no, that's way more work and then go back and put the pack back on yeah so that that was a uh that was definitely one that we're both going to remember idaho was was crazy and man i, I just super fortunate on that trip that it yeah. went the way that it did it was cool nice right on man what's your hunting plans for 2019 2020 have you even thought about where you're going to put in or what you're going to do or you're not sure yeah yet? um we're going to buy tags for idaho today mm -hmm. um i'm getting a mule deer tag this year good for you yeah because i want to shoot my first mule deer and i already know exactly what i want to do and where i want to go yeah <laughs> um and my 2019 season isn't over yet i'm going to go up into the trinity alps or the base of and hunt bear up there nice um i've always hunted bear just because it extends my hunting season it just gives you more time in yep. the field and it's nice too because i'll go places where i wouldn't normally go for deer mm -hmm. just to deer scout like scout blacktail and and see what you come up with yeah and so we put in me and a, another buddy put in a lot of time last year hunting bear um over the course of a couple of different trips and covered a lot of really cool ground yeah. didn't turn much up uh yeah. didn't shoot a bear up there but uh it was it's fun that's why i like bear hunting honestly it just gives me a reason to get outside at the end of the season end of the year and and cover some ground so i'm going to do that um as, as far as next year goes um i'm transferring with work um to another state um like we talked about oregon or alaska is the highest probability of where i'm going to end up so yeah. If I end up in Alaska, I mean, I would kill a doll sheep for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take every hunting opportunity. Oh yeah, can. Yeah. yeah. I'll try to stay there as long as I can. <laughs> right. And uh, I mean, I've never been, but and everyone that that knows me and and has been to Alaska, they're like, well, we'll uh, we'll come visit you because I know you're never gonna leave now. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Right on. Mm -hmm. Right on. So no concluding thoughts? Um, no, I don't really have any. <laughs> okay. Right on, man. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I appreciate you. I mean, it's the day after Thanksgiving. This won't obviously be released for a few weeks, but mm -hmm. it's the day after Thanksgiving. You took the time out of your life and came over to my house. And oh, yeah, totally. To sit down and rap about it. And, yeah. You know, getting to watch the evolution of your guys' season this year was awesome. You know, and then you and I have tried to link up for eight or nine months. Now. Yeah, something like that. Something like that, and it just hasn't happened. And Busy guys. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, we're both just extremely busy and both extremely active hunting. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that being busy and active and hunting really, like, narrows the windows of opportunity to, like, yeah. go out and do other things when you're doing the home life. Mm -hmm. You know, so I totally get it, and... You know, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. This was, was cool. Yeah, hell yeah. Right on, man. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co. You can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops 
from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.